button. The light is green. Go and cue the intro. Here we go. No, 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 no! Coke Would Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Alan Huffman, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donaghy, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, Tom Heron, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS 80 Color Baseball. And you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk. The world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Coco Talk, episode 217. We've got a very special guest today. We've got Aaron Newcomb from the Retro Hack Shack talking about Coco hardware. Are you ready? All right, we are here. We're live. We're on the air. We've got a great show in store for you. We've got a panel has been assembled. We've got a special guest. We're going to be talking about Coco Hardware Mods. We've got a live audience out there watching us already. So real quick, I want to say hi to Mark Bosley and Kevin Holloway and Ken Ken Make It. David Craker is out there. Hey, David. Jim Rye is out there. Samuel Gimes. James Jones is out there. And uh, Nick Morota, Todd Knudsen, Con Tom, Todd, uh, Todd Knudsen is out there. All kinds of people. Karen is out there. Sixty. So thanks you guys for for tuning in live each and every week. We appreciate that. Uh, we've got a panel, and we're gonna run around real quick and just say hi to everybody. The uh, legendary game designer himself, Mr. Rick Adams, is in the house. Hey, Rick. Thanks for joining us. Hey, glad to be here. Name so nice, we must say it thrice. It's Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota. 
Hello, Stevie. Glad to be here. And your hair is looking uh, luxurious today, Nick, as always. So. Oh, isn't it? It is. It's yeah, our hair cutting places are still closed. We have the Flowing Mane, I believe is what it's the called. The creator of the Coco Blue Board, a fully functional Coco 2 motherboard clone, Pedro's with us. Hello, Pedro. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us. We got the guy who puts the links in the live chat and does all kinds of other stuff behind the scenes. Mark Overholz is here. Thank you, Mark. Glad to be here, as usual. Our foreign correspondent and oh-so-polite Canadian, L. Curtis Boyles here. How's it going, eh? Good day, eh? Welcome to the show, everybody. All right. Take off, eh? Rick Eulens here. Hey, Rick. Howdy, folks. Our assembly language aficionado is here. George. Hey, George. Looking forward to another lesson with you today. We can barely read your shirt, and you're muted. But keep on talking. We'll just pretend like we can hear you. It's all good. Um, the two for one. We can't read right. your shirt, and we can't hear you. The, uh, the author of Forrest Doom, the creator of Coco Forever, and he's also a Canadian. He's DeBruce Moore. <laughs> Take off, eh? Good day, eh? Another Good day, eh? Yes. And welcome to Coco Talk. Hey, take off, eh? Uh, another behind-the-scenes guy does all kinds of stuff for us for the show and for the newsletter. Alan Murphy's here. Howdy, howdy. He's from Arizona. He's got a garage. It's Ron Delville. Ho, ho, ho. Hello, Ron. Our Hello. Ba our backup streamer and engineer, Mark Bosley's here. Hey, Mark. Hello. A guy who gets a thing or two off of eBay from time to time, Brian Weezer's here. Oh, cheers. And creator of many Cocoa products, often involving toggle switches, Jason the Cocoa Man Riker is here. How's it going, Jason? Hey, and I'm not muted. Good afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there we go. King of the toggle. And then we're going to jump right in and just feature our guest of honor right now. But we are very, very happy to have with us. Thank you for being here. But Aaron Newcomb is here uh, from many things, but uh, we are going to focus on, but feel free to tell us as much as you want to tell us, but your Retro Hack Shack, where you do all kinds of cool projects and uh, of notice things that involve the color computer restorations and, and HDMI output, all kinds of good stuff. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Yep. Yeah, from time to time, I focus on the cocoa. <laughs> uh, more than I thought I would, actually, when I got started. Uh, it was, uh, uh, I mean, co Color Computer was my first com computer. So, you know, it holds a special place in my heart, of course. Um, but yeah, I, when I first started, I, I didn't know there were so many cool things I could do to the Coco. Because <laughs> I, uh, when I was a kid, I never modded anything. I never did memory upgrades or anything. I just used a stock system. So now, uh, being uh, somewhat older, let's say. Uh, it's like being a kid in a candy store. Excellent. Oh, I was going to ask you, like, you, you've been involved with, with open source, you've been all the Twit TV and a bunch of other things. So what, what got you into creating the Retro Hack Shack in the first place? You know, I've, I've wanted to do it for a long time. Um, a couple of things. One was, uh, you know, just getting back into, into Retro. I mean, I kind of left that whole world when I was a kid, right? Kind of put it to the side always interested in technology of course um but it, more interested in newer technology right and then i'm sure like a lot of us it's like man i, I kind of miss those old days i feel nostalgic for those old computers and started collecting again and i think i did actually approach twit with an idea for a show 
Um, I even did a write-up on it. I still have it somewhere. And it was going to be called Make It or Break It. And it was going to be like a hacking slash vintage computer thing, but, you know, kind of focus on uh, on hacking mostly. And then there was this show that came out on, I don't know, one of the minor cable networks or something called Make It or Break It, which was about, I think, cheerleaders or, or gymnasts or something. Mm. I don't remember. Slightly different. And, yeah, it was definitely different, but it was the same name. And so that pretty much tanked the whole idea because, you know, there was already a show with that name. So and then I just never pursued it for for like years after that, for a couple of years. And then when I started collecting, I'm like, you know what? I I might as well do my own show because there's there's nothing stopping me at this point. I don't need the fancy production, you know, hoopla and a sound engineer and an audio or a video engineer, you know, helping me and pay a lot of people. I can do this by myself. Cause I've been doing it for years, even before twit. So um, yeah, I just went for it and it's actually working out a lot better than I thought. And just for people that aren't familiar, uh, what, what shows are you regularly on? What shows are you sometimes on, on twit? Just so you kind of so, know what your background is. Yeah. So these days I mostly focus on floss weekly. Um, I could do more. Um, I've done more in the past. Um, I, you know, I was on the screensavers. I was on all about Android. Um, uh, a couple others, but you know, this one, um, the open source is really near and dear to my heart. And uh, it's about the only one I have time to do these days. So between doing my own YouTube channel, which I try to release videos every week, which is pretty tough to do. Um, and then uh, I work at a startup. So, you know, uh, and I have a family. And so, you know, between all of those things, I just can't do more Twitch shows than Floss Weekly. And I try to do it at least once a month, sometimes twice a month. Okay. And you've been doing like retro projects, as, as Stevie mentioned in the intro there, that you've, you've been doing it with a lot of retro computers. Um, what, what, what's your definition of a retro computer? Like when does it cease to be retro and become more <laughs> modern? Like you were saying, you're originally into the new stuff all the time. Or do you have a cutoff? Yeah, I don't have a cutoff. I mean, it's too hard to gauge, right? Because as soon as you do that, then you'll see something that's really cool from a, an era that you thought wasn't vintage before. Um, you know, I, I picked up a... I don't know if you remember those, uh, what was the name of them? It was a Fujitsu laptop um, from the 2000s, I want to say mid 2000s. And it was one of those that flipped around, the display flipped around, it was very early on. I can't remember, was it a was life a book maybe? Yeah, it might've been called a life book. Anyway, I saw one of those and I'm like, well, okay, that goes, you know, I don't consider that retro. I don't consider it vintage yet, but it's kind of getting there. Like, you know, it's 15 years old. And, and I went ahead and, and picked it up, right? Just because it was so, so cool and and uh, interesting. Um, but most of the time, the stuff I focus on on the channel is, uh, I would say, up to two thousand. Nothing. I don't think I featured anything that was uh, over a nineteen ninety five. I've got a video coming up um, on Monday that is a laptop that uh was put out in 1994 i think that's one of the newest pieces of tech i featured um but that was cool because it's a canon uh laptop that was also a printer i don't know if you remember those there were several uh around that time frame as you know manufacturers were trying to figure out you know what they could do to entice customers they i mean the market was so fresh back then really uh, once things got small enough and and the power ratio got right that they could create almost anything in that form factor and so then you started seeing all this weird gadgets and technology come out with laptops. And one of them was this was this Canon laptop 
which is actually made by IBM. Um, although it wasn't, they never marketed it except in Japan and it was, a, had a built-in printer and it's no bigger <laughs> than a normal laptop. Wow. Oh, was this a cool. full size printer or like a little, like a thermal printer or something? No, no, no. It was a full size printer. Um, oh, well, we say full size, right? Everything was miniaturized. All the gears were really small and everything to fit into that form factor. Um, but, uh, I can show you a picture of it while we're talking maybe. Um, but yeah, it was like standard uh, eight and a half by 12 sheets. Standard eight and a half by 12 sheets, bubble jet okay. technology. Uh, let me see if I can pull up a picture real quick. It was, um, here it is. Here it is. Let me share my screen. Can I share my yeah, screen? Yeah. If I share yeah, my screen, will you see it? Okay. I think this is it. Yeah, when I hear a computer printer hybrid, the first thing I think of is like the Coleco Atom. Oh, that's yeah. really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, as you can tell by that picture, it, it looks like a regular laptop from that era, from maybe the early nineties. Yeah, you know? this yeah, was the yeah. this was the mid nineties. But I have a I also have a Packard Bell, uh, early early Packard Bell laptop that was about the same size, and from nineteen ninety two or ninety one or ninety two. So this isn't far off, right? Uh, but but it's not. You would think this would be some big, you know, bulky uh, laptop. It's not. I mean, the the keyboard flips up. And uh, there's the, the paper feed is underneath the keyboard. So it's on hinges and the keyboard flips up. I, I just thought it was really, really cool. So I'm trying to get it working. That's the problem is okay. that the, uh, the, the screen wasn't working at first and now the printer's not working. And I have a feeling that, the, uh, the, that there's an IC somewhere in the printer circuit that got blown up when I was doing nasty things to it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that brings up my next question. Is, are you concentrating specifically on just hardware hacking, or are you also going to be doing some software hacking as well, especially for the really old ones where it's a bit more controllable for the user? Yeah, probably. Probably. I was just thinking last night that there's some cool things that you could do uh, um, with with I.O. on some of these computers. But I'm not a huge software guy. I mean, I've written a lot of software. Uh, you know, I was a big Perl hacker back in the day, but um, I don't touch it anymore. Uh, mostly Python now, but I don't, I never learned assembly. That's my biggest drawback for the channel. I feel like is that I'd really love to do some stuff in assembly. Um, and maybe I'll do a series where I'm learning assembly for the cocoa or something. Yeah. And, and we got the uh, show for you today. Yeah. We're, st yeah, we're, we're starting that here on this <laughs> it sounds show. like it. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. But maybe document the, the learning process for someone that's, that's yeah. brand new. I know there's some other channels that have done similar things. Um, uh, eight bit show and tell. Um, uh, I think that channel has done similar things for the for the uh, C sixty four, where you know it's kind of an intro to assembly uh, for the C sixty four for the sixty five hundred two. So um, yeah, maybe we'll see. Okay, I know I, I have a burning question that I've never had a chance to ask before, even on Twitter. But I, I know years ago you wore a Dungeons of Daggerath shirt on Twitter a few times. And I was wondering, that was kind of before I started seeing people actually selling them. So where did you get yours? Was that a custom-made thing or did you find some place that was selling them? No, it was a custom-made thing from, I got the artwork for the uh, um, the cartridge, of course. Um, and if you remember the manual on the, on the front of the, the manual, it's very iconic, right? And the great thing about it was it was, it was mostly black and red. So it was kind of the perfect thing for a t-shirt because you don't want too many colors usually. Uh, for for a really nice T-shirt, so uh, just found a high-res scan of that. I had to do some image manipulation to get it in the right format. I actually made the black transparent, so you buy it on a black T-shirt. You don't have to worry about printing the black; it mm, makes it look a lot yeah, nicer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now I built that myself, not the logo, of course, 
but the are not the uh, the original graphics of course didn't come from me obviously um but the t-shirt was designed by me and that's uh, available i've done several like that this one that i'm wearing is also available on my website retrohackshack.com um Aaron, and uh, yes back up a little how does the cursor work on the shirt <laughs> i didn't realize you had that <laughs> yeah so i don't know if you can see it there's a little uh, flashing cursor there if i if i sit up a little straighter the little uh, led yeah you can buy oh, these okay. leds um off of aliexpress or ebay and they're just they're just flashing color rainbow leds if you look up flashing rainbow led on ebay or something you'll find them and all it takes is a little uh, coin cell battery to to run them and so i just poke the led through the t-shirt there's a little uh, battery taped to the backside, basically, with an on-off switch. And uh, that's it. Pretty pretty simple to do. I did print out a a uh, uh, a little plastic piece at one point that was the size of a uh, one of the text blocks. Oh, right? OK. And put that over it. So to try to make it look more like the, the you know, the, the, the rectangle yeah, blinking yeah. shape. Um, but it just kept falling off. So I said, well, forget it. No one, no one's probably really is going to care about that detail, but me, but. <laughs> oh, but no. <laughs> <laughs> so Except I'm going to order the version maybe. two of the keyboard or the t-shirt where you actually have a working keyboard and actually will type across the, the screen. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Sounds good. When you're, uh, when you're looking at creating videos, um, where do you draw your inspiration from? Is it things that you want to do or is it uh, viewer comments or combination? It's a combination. Mostly it's uh, things that I want to do. But in the case of, you know, bringing HTMI to the the Coco 1, 2, and 3, um, that started as something I wanted to do. And then a user chimed in and said, oh, it doesn't look like you can do artifact uh, colors. It looks like they're not working right or something. I can't remember what the comment was. Um, and uh, so I went back to the developers and said, well, can we do artifact colors? And sure enough, you know, within a couple of days, they had artifact uh, colors working, uh, emulated artifact colors, but it, it works perfectly. And that was that was something that came from a from a viewer. I mean, it would have happened eventually anyway. But mm -hmm. you know, having a viewer say, "Hey, can you do this?" I was like, "Yeah, we really need to do that because I don't know how I don't know what percentage of games use artifact colors, but it's got to be most of them, right?" On the Coco, hundred oh, yeah, percent, well over fifty percent, <laughs> yeah, more. at least. I was going to say more like eighty percent, right? Yeah. That's probably so, close, yeah. Uh, yeah, they, so in that they, case, it pushed the project forward. Did they leave the um, reset button thing in? To... <laughs> uh, the artifact no, you can, no, you can configure that in the menu of the board, though. So okay. if you want to change the, the phase of the colors to get blue instead of orange, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, can, you, you can do that. Yeah, just hit F1. But if you're on a Coco 2, eh, no F1. Right, right. Yep. So, so, so yeah. hey, Aaron. Uh, no, go ahead. I, yeah. So, uh, you know, a great channel, by the way. I love it. Um, oh, thank very you. Very nice. And uh, well, you answered the artifacting question. Uh, so, um, Alan from AC's Eight Bit Zone wanted to ask you. You couldn't make it today. You know, if you tried the artifacting. Yep. And you just answered that. Um, yep. And actually, I saw the the board for the first time. Actually, I'd seen versions of the board before, but I saw it for the first time with the analog board uh -huh. on your channel when you hooked it up to the Coco One. And so uh, it inspired me, and so I built it as well, and I've hooked it up, and I've actually I've, I've asked you a couple of questions. Uh, oh, awesome! Awesome. And, uh, you answered them, but uh, I've been using it, and it, it's fantastic. It's really yeah. good. 
It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, I, it's one of those few projects where it's just like, you know, you, it, it's so useful. I, you just said, well, I wonder if it could support this system. I wonder if it could support this system. And all, inevitably, uh, the, the answer is yes. Yeah. As long as it's a system that has um, some sort of RGB, uh, either digital or analog RGB uh, capability or uh, monochrome composite. So uh, I got it working on the Apple II, which also could take advantage of the artifact emulation. Um, and then uh, Adrian Black, actually, uh, I sent one to him and he got his working on Mac. So the early Macs, all the classic Macs and the, you know, the one, the 64K type variants of Macs, all those early Macs, um, it'll actually work for because it's just, it's just monochrome composite output. Hmm. Yeah. So well, really versatile. Also, well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, really, it just needs a lot of feedback uh, so they can put profiles in there for each yep. system. But yep. I guess uh, I did see that he was selling them at one point, but I guess he, he's no longer selling them. Uh, he's going to be selling them again, and uh, I was going to save it for the channel, but I'll announce it here. I'm actually going to be selling them as well. Ah. So uh, the developer and I, since we've worked together on a couple of different projects, mostly the Cocoa ones, um, you know, he's agreed to let me sell it in North America, and I'm going to donate some of the proceeds back to the project oh, to help okay. keep it going. So, um, so yeah, that nice. should be coming as soon as I get the boards from China. I've got the analog boards already just waiting for the, the main boards. Um, and as soon as I get those, I can, uh, I'll have them up on the website and people can order them in North America. That way they can sh save the expensive shipping from the UK. So they'll be available in the UK and they'll be available in North America. Oh, and so are you going to be selling the stock, you know, sort of design or are you going to have mm -hmm. modified versions? Um, no, I'll just sell the stock design. Um, the, the, you know, most of the modification comes down to the cables and I'm not going to do custom cables because that's just too right. much work. I don't have time for that. But I will sell a cable bundle that will give you the ribbon cables and stuff that you can, uh, just so you don't have to order them yourselves, you can just take those and break them out into whatever connector you need to for your particular machine. Uh -huh. Well, I was thinking of making sort of like a, a, a little board to pop in place of your BDG, put the BDG mm -hmm. in with that 10 pin connector. Yeah, oh, that would be awesome. Connector on there. So it would, would just be, awesome. be a ribbon cable. Yeah, no, I love it. For, I love that idea. For testing. Yep. But oh, so I guess you answered the question. You're going to be selling it because uh, the you know the one problem that I had with it was actually sourcing the components. You know that's kind of difficult yeah. for a lot of people to do, and then to actually assemble it. Yep. Yeah. Most people. Won't yeah. Be yeah, that's that's more challenging these days, right? With the chip shortage. Um, yeah. So with this last round or my first round of of ordering these, getting these assembled, and uh, of course the developer Ian, he's been doing it for a while, but we were really worried that we weren't going to be able to get the CPLDs. And somehow we were able to get them. So maybe that's not affected by the chip shortage as much, but I would think it would be a prime target for being affected actually yeah. by this type of chip shortage. So we'll see the next round. I mean, hopefully we can get more, um, but yeah. you know, there's not, not much we can do about that, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. It's hitting it just about everybody. So yep. is it gonna be yeah. a, a uh, an assembled kit or I mean, is it going to come as a kit or, or ready to go nearly turnkey or? Good question. Yeah, it'll be fully assembled, tested, software loaded. So you shouldn't have to do anything unless you wanted to upgrade the firmware for some new feature or support for some some new system. Um, it'll, it'll be fully assembled and tested. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah.
Now, now, Pedro, I I I've got a couple of your videos uh, this week in the news, but we'll also cover them now because they're concerning the HDMI. Because you said you originally had gotten a really good picture out of the Coco Two version, but then the or sorry, the, the Coco One version, but the Coco Two is giving you some noise, and you had to do some sort of a fix to. Yeah, well, so the Coco One was perfect. I mean, just like uh, what you had on you know on on your show there, I, I did that and very little tweaking. It was perfect. Now the Coco Two, on the other hand, both of my Coco Twos, uh, I I was getting a lot of like sparklies all over the screen and stuff. And so I spent days and days and days trying to figure it out and modifying this and that. And so I was corresponding with Ian. And okay, so, perfect. I do remember this comment now. I remember you asking that question. Well, we finally figured it out. And uh, he made a couple of uh, a couple of comments there and uh, he went in and uh, so I had to remove actually two components. Uh, to actually really? Work. And now, yeah, yeah, from the code. What did you remove? That's curious. So there, uh, this the Coco One doesn't have this, but uh, on the Y channel, uh, there's a capacitor, there's 150, uh, ferret capacitor and that on, on my version of the coco 2 that's c59 and then on the artifacting circuit uh there's a 1k resistor um, huh. and so we removed those two and then it was i mean it made the whole it made the difference you know and then it was yeah. just minor tweaking after that well actually no there was one more thing i had to do for whatever reason on both of my cocos if i powered the pie from uh the board itself um i'd get sparklies every now and then or you sort of see like you know uh something like running across the screen you know with a you know with a predictable yep. frequency yeah but if i powered it externally uh with its own power supply the pi everything's perfect huh so i was wondering if you ran into any of that no no because i didn't actually test it on the coco 2. um i just did the coco 1 which i assumed would work just fine on the coco 2 and then i did the coco 3 the which coco is 3. of course using the rgb so that's really interesting well we'll have to make sure i is i wonder if that's just your particular version or if that's going to be common across all coco twos so he says he has a coco two he doesn't have the version i have i have the uh you know, 30 uh 26 uh, well it's the bigger board of the coco two he has a smaller board version the newer version and he says he did not see that on his now i've ordered more parts to build another one of these boards just in case you know it's my board that i have an issue with it but i mean it works fine uh, with the coco one even powering it from the coco one so i doubt that you know it ha it's an assembly issue I mean, it could be. Huh. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, interesting. Well, that's good. We, yeah, and I'm sure he'll document that as well for other uh, for other Coco Two owners that want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, and I'll I'll confirm that that is what what needs to be done as soon as my parts get here and I build another board. Okay. Just to rule that out. Awesome. But, uh, it. I mean, it makes sense as well. You know, uh, the Coco One doesn't have those components on there. Right. Right. I don't know yep. if the Coco Three does. No, Pedro, one of your videos was also showing like you were clearing the screen with red, I think, and it does that flash. Right. You so, just figured that out as well. I, I didn't get a chance yeah. to check all this stuff out. So. Yes, that was fixed. So Ian confirmed that that was, uh, you know, an issue with the artifacting stuff that he had put in. And he, in fact, put up a fix for it. And I tested it and it's fixed. So that that uh, it was a it was an issue with the artifacting code, the yeah. way it detected so that... the NTSC artifacting. Perfect. So that could be fixed in the in the profile or in the uh, in the software. At, right. At he already least. he put well yeah. he put up a patch. Well, if you go if you go into um, the repo there, uh, you know where the the issues are. The issues. Yep. You go down on the bottom. He has a link. Okay. For awesome. the patched version, which I guess awesome. he'll put out another release. He's so responsive. He's a great developer. Uh, you couldn't ask for a better uh, you know, open source developer. He really, I think he loves really? this stuff. I think he has a passion for it, number one. Um, you know, I've only talked to him really through email and on the forums, but 
Um, sounds like he really has a passion for for doing this, and um, he knows it so well at this point. You know, problems like that that come up that would, you know, how many people is that going to impact, right? For for the project, I'm sure a lot of people are using it more for the BBC Micro or the IBM PC. Um, but you know, he's willing to take that up and be like, yeah, okay, you're having a problem, sure. And then like in a couple of days, he puts out a fix or yeah. figures out what the problem is. I mean, really deserves a lot of kudos, Ian, for for what he's doing with that project. Really does. Yeah, absolutely. More power to him. And and Ian, if you see this, thank you. This is fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and what no, we we oh, go ahead. I was gonna say what Pedro's doing, aka Rocky Hill. You know, he's creating parts for the Coco that we can't get anymore. So he's made a complete replica motherboard. You're working on what the uh, the salt pi, the PIA thing. chip, the salt chip replacement, the the PIA chip. So Pedro's yeah. doing some really interesting stuff in the Cocoa space that hasn't been done before. And um, you mentioned too, I think, Aaron, that you're looking at doing some more Septandi, Septandi stuff, and which is not too far away. And and uh, this last Septandi was really Cocoa heavy. There were a lot of people yeah. doing Cocoa stuff, and and we happened to kind of catch a lot of that. And we've made a lot of acquaintances a lot now that are like regulars on the show that we're featuring and stuff. So that's awesome. Uh, Pedro um, and uh, Canadian retro things and um, Alan from AC's 8-bit AC's zone. 8-bit zone. AK's so a lot of these guys who were just like, they, they kind of showed up out of nowhere, did a few Septandy things. And then we said, Hey guys, come, you know, we're here. We're, we're a big thriving community. Come join us, you know? And so we brought all these people into the collective and it's been really cool. And so I'm hoping that this year's Septandy, will be even bigger and we get a bigger spotlight on our we're obviously biased because most of us we you know the coco was our first machine we grew up with it it was our first love so we want to see more and more exposure on that eight bit of all the ones out there you know so yeah um, yeah. yeah we're looking for well, it was always so. the underdog so that's yeah. that's another reason for it I, I know it's i know it's happening oh that's better look at that light my window is throwing off my uh my light here i'm trying different things um the uh uh i know that the, the there's talk uh, amongst the youtubers and doing it again so the plan is definitely to do it uh i think it pushed people that are generalists like me into doing videos that they maybe had on the back burner right that they weren't going to do for a while um i think it pushed them into bringing those to the forefront and getting those done sooner rather than later so i i think that just the the effort you know, or just the, the, you know, the, the, the initiative to do that and focus on it really pushed people in that direction. So I'm glad it's paid off. Um, now, the only thing I hope is that people aren't holding on to those projects necessarily uh, until September to, to put them out. I know I've done stuff in the interim, of course, um, and I have some stuff that I am holding off on doing until September just to, to make sure I have some very interesting content to contribute. But um yeah, I don't know. I've, I've got I've got a um, uh, TRS eighty model three that I haven't done anything on on the channel. I did it, I did it all before I started the channel, mm -hmm. so I fixed it. I, you know, I got it got it working. I got a got a um, um, uh, emulated uh, floppy drive working on it, and loaded some programs and did some things. And I did that all just you know before I started my channel, just on my own. Um, but I think I should probably pull that back out and do something with that. And then I've got a couple other things that I'm thinking about doing that are Coco related, which one is a, is a playthrough of Dungeons of Dagareth, of course, favorite game of all time. <laughs> um, so talking a little bit about the history, I actually have the source code, uh, for Dungeons of Dagareth. I was working on a Python port at one point. Um, 
Actually, so yeah, a few of us saw, saw that and we were going to verify that was you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I never got, I didn't get very far on it because of some of the issues with Python. I, th I thought, this is so backwards doing it this way. And I just lost interest. Um, uh, but who knows? I might pick it up again if I can if I can fix some of those simple, simple timing issues that I, I was seeing. Yeah, there um, is a Windows port already. but uh... There is a Windows port. There's a, there's a, um, um, a C port, of course. I forget that one's pretty pretty famous. It's been out there for a while. Uh, well, I can't remember the name of it though. Do you guys remember? Yeah, the PC Daggerath. Yeah, I think it's PC Daggerath. That's it. That's it. So that's been out for for a long time. Um, uh, last but year, yeah, I think the we had a guy last year port it to the web. So there's there's Daggerath Online where he did a yep. web assembly. So there's an online version that you can play. Um, yeah, that even works like in a mobile device. So that's, that's kind of awesome. cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, I might cover like all the different ways that it's you know kind of a history first. It's, it's almost like Here's the Coco's the version of, of Doom. You know, you're gonna get yeah. a version oh, of totally. it on just about any device at, at some point yeah. in time. So yeah, 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 for sure. Yep. Uh, so that's one thing I'm thinking of, and then um, I've also got a uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's sitting out in the garage, but it's a sorry, my dog's barking at me. Um, <laughs> there's a, uh, a a sketch pad. Um, for the Coco. I don't know if you guys remember that. There was the Koala well, pad, pad and then there was a digitizer tablet too. Yeah. The X-Pad. I think this is the X-Pad. Okay. I found that. I lucked into that one. Is the big gray expensive a... one or is it the little smaller? No, it's it's big. Page. It's big. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be X-Pad. Um, had like a hardwired yep, pen to it. Yep. Exactly. Jason yeah. has one. Yep, there goes a yeah. couple of Oh, there we yeah. go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So I've got one of those. So I'm thinking about doing an episode on on that and how it works. And I, I thought that would be kind of fun, too. Because yeah, I never cool. knew there was a koala pad. I assumed there was a koala pad because it seemed like there was a koala pad for everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah there was. But I didn't. I never had heard of this other one. It um, was kind of expensive when it was a couple hundred bucks when it came out. And it's then 479 it, Canadian when it oh, came out here. Wow, I know like, that. So 500, eh? Wow. Take off, wow. eh? And then to use it, you would have needed to have the Coco and the multi-pack interface because if you wanted to save anything to disk, you know. So now you're looking at a $500 Coco, $500 tablet. The multi-pack was like $200. So you got $1,200 right there. I think yeah. I got mine on a fire sale when they were getting rid of them for like 100 bucks back in the day. Uh, and it was a fun toy because you could, you could read it from basic. You were just basically peeking to a memory location to see the XY where they were and if the button if the pen was up or down so i wrote my own drawing programs with it and i did demos for my computer club it was a neat thing i think i've got one and when i got back into collecting i got one on ebay um but yeah that is really cool that's it's, awesome it's well, a unique device it's a very unique device that i don't think there was one like that on a lot of other eight bits you know right right exactly yeah, yeah well i'll reach out to you guys if i have questions i'm sure i will yeah it does yeah. require 12 volts for that cartridge, yeah, so you couldn't run it off of a Coco 2 or Coco 3 without a multi-pack. Back in the old days, the Coco's cartridge port was 12 volts to the right. cartridge line, and uh, so if you got a newer one, you'd need to kind of boost it. Good to know. Yeah, yeah. I'll or use an external power to give the 12 volts. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Neat, neat. When did you first Coco? When did uh, you know? What was your first experience? Oh man. Uh, trying to think how old i was maybe six or seven i would say wow um and what it was is we knew a guy that was really into computers at the time and he kept getting the latest ones as they came out or he would wow. he would get two or three and then decide he doesn't need two or three you know so he was really into it and he took pity on our family and gave us one of the early cocos, basically <laughs> that he didn't need anymore 
<laughs> and that's how we got our first computer. And the first game I played on it, I think, was Bedlam. Oh, wow. Classic. Uh, and we were just like, the whole family was, you know, it was, it was a classic uh, picture, right? We were all, you know, huddled around the computer, yeah, just like yeah. you see in the magazine, right? Yeah. Like, a, a, an yeah, try opening the painted it. door. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that was my first experience. And, uh, and then my friends got one and, uh, you know, you know, my best friends, uh, uh, I was over there all the time. And so they, they got one and, um, uh, my friend's dad was a big ham radio guy. So he was kind of into electronics and knew this kind of stuff. And, and so he, you know, as soon as, uh, for example, uh, OS nine was available, he put OS nine on his Coco three. Um, and so that opened up that whole realm. Um, and, uh, you know, we used to sit around and play, uh, what was that submarine game called? Um, sub battle simulator, sub battle simulator, I think Kept by epics. Yeah. I think so. And so we would load that up and we would just sit there for hours at a time. Um, or, or, you know, in that game, like if you ran out of, uh, uh, if, if your diesel engines got hit or something, you'd have to run off electricity or, or vice versa, you know, and, and there was, I remember there was times where you could, you could speed up the, uh, the clock on that game to, to, so that you could pass time more quickly. And I remember, you know, we could only run it like two knots uh an hour or something like that <laughs> at some point because and so we're like okay here's where we're gonna go you know let's just set it you know and then we'll go outside and play for a while we'll come back and see if we made it back to base or whatever so yeah tons of good memories from from those early days and of course learning basic as well so one of the first programs i did besides all the ones out of the books of course uh one of the first things that, that i did for myself as soon as i learned how to do graphics in basic was of course I had to design um, a model of the Starship Enterprise, and so so I built the Enterprise right, and it would all load out very slowly and basic on the screen. You know, each it would draw each line, and then it would play the the theme song. Uh, and my sister helped me with the because I wasn't a musician, but I could do the coding, so she helped me with the notes. And so that was one of my one of the first programs I remember doing by myself was drawing out the enterprise and having it play the oh, wow. the theme song <laughs> of course i wish i still had that, that program <laughs> that that would yeah. have had to have been the original series at that point ncc 1701 before we got into the next gen and everything else but yeah, exactly classic but you know what's yeah. funny is that we use the for whatever reason my sister and i i don't know if my sister suggested it she's like well let's instead of using the the the, the normal theme song from the original show let's use the theme song from the movie oh the motion picture the yeah. motion picture which ended up being the theme song from next generation yeah, as well. yeah tng yeah so it's it's funny looking thinking back about it we actually had the wrong theme song sort of even though at the time it was just just the one that we knew from the movie yeah um that was but before they decided right. to use it yeah yeah it was, so it's, it was it's the just right funny. answer yeah it's the right it was answer, the right answer. Like we didn't know it was we didn't know it was the right <laughs> yeah, answer at the yeah. time but it turned out to be so did you keep your coco and any of these other retro computers during your adulthood, not. or did you get rid of them all, of and then you not. had to get them all back again? Now I I got rid of them all. Of course, it's like I, every, like so many people I talk to. Very few people have kept them um, uh, that were that were not really big enthusiasts. Okay. You know, people that just you know we I'll get into conversations with people. How how did you get started? Like what what was your first computer? You know, and, and inevitably they say, ah, oh, we sold it at a garage sale. You know, when I was a teenager because I was out of it at that point or something and. Um, it's sad, but it's nice now that people can go back and experience that nostalgia. Most of these things are still available. 
Uh, the only thing I wish I had were my programs that I wrote, and they weren't great programs. They were all basic. I did a, I did an adventure game, of course, you know, text-based adventure game. Um, I don't remember the plot of it, but uh, you know, I wish I had it to go, sh you know, show my kids and go experience that again and see how bad my code was. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Awesome. Now, were you a hardware tinker back then too, or? Oh yeah, yeah. I've always been uh, somewhat of a hardware tinkerer, in, in that I would. I didn't play with my toys. I took them apart, right? So my parents always had a hard time getting me stuff for Christmas because I would play with it for <laughs> a couple of days and then it was in parts, right? Pieces, parts. I had sorted all the gears and all of the all of the motors and all the plastic parts. And then I would create Frankenstein uh, cars or whatever and drive them around, you know, and uh, yeah, it was just the way I was. I what guess. was I the kid in Toy Story who did that? The 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 I can't think yeah, of his I don't name. Remember his name. Sid, Sid, yeah, Sid would Sid. take all his sister yeah. stuff and make like evil versions of everything. That was that was my bedroom, but without all of the dark, <laughs> ominous lighting and all that, you know. Uh, uh, I wasn't, I, I wasn't mean. I didn't blow him up. Yeah, I didn't yeah. Blow my toys up with firecrackers, or anything. <laughs> but uh, I did take them apart, and and you know, I tried to put bigger motors in. Uh, uh, you know, I, I blew up a radio at one point because. I tried to fix it. It had a blown capacitor and I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, I put a capacitor in that was probably too small and probably put it in backwards and uh, uh, took it outside and plugged it in. And of course it exploded, um, <laughs> you know, so I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I learned, I did learn, you know, I basically taught myself a lot of stuff just by pulling stuff apart. And that's also what got yeah. me into the maker community and, and starting a maker space was that experience as a kid. Um, I think everybody should have that experience. You learn best by taking things apart, by failing, mm -hmm. uh, trying something and failing. That's how you learn. And so uh, it seems to me we need more of those types of places in our communities where people are free to do that. All right. And your um, your website is RetroHackShack.com, right? And on YouTube, it's RetroHackShack, so YouTube slash RetroHackShack. Correct. Right. Yep. That's, the, uh, that's for the... Um, uh, for, for the YouTube channel and the t-shirts, if anyone's interested in buying a t-shirt, they're there. So if you want to buy this one with the cocoa screen or the dungeons Daggereth, or I've got, a, I've got a few others, uh, check that out. It's in the shop. And that's also where the, uh, um, this, uh, board, the HDMI board Excellent. will be as well. What is, uh, what is the street price on that going to be roughly when it's ready? To uh, so right now I'm targeting for the, so there's, there's different components for anyone that's not familiar. You can kind of see them sandwiched together here. Mm -hmm. So there's a raspberry Pi, which won't come included. And then actually it goes, I should turn it around. This is the top. So this, this board on top is the main board and that's the board you can do digital RGB to HDMI with, um, that'll be $45. And then the one in the middle is uh, the analog board. That'll be $35. So, and I'm listing all the computers that uh, have support um, that this thing supports. And so you can decide, oh, I've got a computer that doesn't need, for example, the, the analog part of it. Uh, so I can just buy the main board. And, uh, and then I'll sell the, the cable kit, which comes with a, what I'm planning now is it'll come with a, a pre um, a pre-made cable for IBM PC. So a nine pinned in that'll support okay. your MDA CGA. Cause I figure a lot of people will probably use it for that. So you'll get that cable if you buy the cable kit and then you'll get an additional ribbon cable um, that's already terminated on one end for the analog board. And then you'll be able to hook that up, you know, to whatever connector it'll be non-terminated on the other end. 
Um, and that'll probably be like 10 bucks or something. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I had purchased something cause I have a Tandy 1000 that uses that kind of CGA EGA ish mm-hmm. thing. And I had bought something somebody made on eBay and it's kind of okay, but it's got some weird anomalies and you know, the fonts look funky on some parts of the screen is that and the, others. Is that the MDA to VGA or could MDA? be? Yeah. Yeah. It? it was about, it was like, it was 50 bucks. It wasn't a lot of money and it's better than nothing, but, um, yeah. If this works pretty flawlessly to straight up HDMI, that's the way to go. Oh, uh, it's it's night and day difference between yeah, that board. I've yeah. got one sitting. So you're looking at seventy five dollars plus the cost of a Pi Zero, which is what five bucks or something. Five bucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it says this is like a Swiss Army knife of uh, retro to modern uh, things. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's definitely a good investment. It's because kind of like there's a bunch of stuff we have that will convert like um, SCART to HDMI, and once Correct. you have yep. that H that's kind of SCART to HDMI converter box, there's so many retro systems that have SCART cables that with that one box it becomes so versatile with so many things this is a similar um thing like that yeah very similar and it's and it's open hardware and um so i've just got two that i use um i don't need more than two so i've got i've got this one which has the analog you can't see it Mm. but this one which has the analog board um attached and then i've got one that's digital that i use for mostly for ibm output and uh that's that's all I need. I can pretty much now. Of course, the more modern uh, stuff it, it won't support. So it won't support uh, color composite, for example. Uh, that's just too much information on one signal to be able to decode. Uh, for this particular uh, uh, hardware implementation, you probably need an FPGA to do that. But and there are other great solutions already that do that. So um, uh, what is it? The uh, what is this other thing? What? Framemeister? Yeah, Framemeister does it. RetroTink does it. I've got a RetroTink here that I use for color composite stuff. So, you know, there are existing solutions for that and they work great. And so, but this, uh, uh, anything up to monochrome composite, uh, this works really, really well for. Neat, neat. Now, what is the connector? I didn't watch all of the video, but if, if you want to take this thing and connect it to a Coco One, for example, what mm-hmm. what's the what are we tapping into on the Coco itself? So the Coco, the way I did it, of course, there's always different ways to do it. But the way I did it was I tapped, I tapped in directly to the uh, the video chip. Um, the, uh, the VDG itself? Not the VDG. The um, Hang on. Let me bring this up and show you because I think I've got a picture. The 1372 of the mixer. Yeah. Let me bring it up and make sure that I've got the right information. Okay. I don't want to embarrass myself. Too much here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, or if you did, you fit in with the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, let me show you. Man, I'm long-winded. Here we go. Here we go. Let me share this. Share my screen so everybody can see it. Okay. Yeah, right on the VDG. That is the yeah. VDG. Okay. That is the VDG. I always get the VDG confused with the the other one on the other side here. The Sam. Um, the Sam. Yeah. 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 That's it. Um, anyway, so uh, that's how I did it. Right? Is I just you could also you know I did it quick and dirty. You could also I, probably I, better I, to attach those wires on the underside um, of the board. Or make a piggyback socket. Or make a piggyback socket. So there's cleaner ways to do this, obviously. Okay. 
but uh but yeah that's the way i did it and uh it worked fine and now that's just it's just uh the, the you know the socket's just hanging out out the back basically and so i can connect it anytime i want to the uh if i want to if i want to hook up the uh coco one and get hdmi out very cool hey Aaron. uh yeah. one of our viewers uh can can make it wants to know uh with the retro hack shack are you going to require phone numbers when you purchase items and do you have a battery club yet uh i don't need phone numbers I don't know if shipping requires phone numbers though. Like no, I, I wouldn't. That's a Radio ask Shack joke. You know, when you used to buy something at Radio Shack, they ask you for your address. And oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah when yeah. you went up to. Oh my word. Yeah, that's a good. I didn't catch that so at is, first. So it's the battery. Yeah, the battery club. club. I, was, the battery, I, I, the battery I will give you a free battery. Yeah, I'll give you a free battery. <laughs> that's cool. Now you, you've been hilarious. involved with the makerspace for quite a while too, and I know like when when some of the reboots of Tandy, I don't know if it's still happening. We we were interviewing one of the people from one of the new Tandy Radio Shack stores, and one of their plans was to actually make maker, yeah, you know, seminars and stuff at the store itself. So, yep. have you heard anything on that? Are you involved with that as well? Or? I have not heard of that effort, but I know that uh, I. But I did see some some stuff about it in the news uh, that they were p potentially planning on doing that. One thing that's funny though are the the makerspace that I started here in town uh, when we were just moving into our first like permanent big uh building right uh because before we were in this small little space and we were just kind of meeting and, and showing off our projects and then we finally got a, a big space that we could use with lots of tools and equipment and uh when that was happening radio shack was going out of business and we were looking for fixtures furniture you know everything we needed and so we went down to radio shack and during their during their cl closeout sales you know and we introduced ourselves and we said you know we'd love to get some of this stuff and uh, but we can't really afford it because even then they were asking big yeah, money yeah. for those thirty percent off their four hundred percent markup, right? So <laughs> exactly, it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, I don't blame them, but it was crazy. So we said, uh, you know, we'd love to get some of this stuff. We're a local nonprofit, blah blah blah. And so uh, what they said was, well, if it doesn't sell, you know, you can come back and we'll give you either a real cheap price or you can have it for free. So we did go ahead and buy the component cabinets. So we have the Radio Shack component cabinets. Like the drawers that pull down? The drawers. Okay, yeah, that's exactly. cool. Exactly. Yeah. So we have those at the Makerspace. Um, so that's a little nostalgic. Yeah. And then uh, when they uh, when they finally did close down our local store, they did have a bunch of the rolling racks and the display tables where the, they put all the cell phones out and stuff. And so we got all of those. And so our you know part of our electronics, probably half of our electronics area is kitted out with fixtures that were from the radio shack store that's cool yeah yeah got some of the lineage there uh i don't yeah. know how you're doing on time and i don't know how we're doing on questions but i figured just to be respectful of that does anybody on the panel have any questions for aaron or anybody in the uh, live audience right now have any specific questions about anything i was i was just going to ask um when you're looking at projects and you're looking at the cocoa is there an aspect of the cocoa that you just really that you really like or is it just because of the familiarity with it or is there something about the cocoa that you just really that makes it fun to hack hack around with it it's hard to get past the nostalgia for me so everything that i discover about it i'm, I'm instantly interested in because it was what i grew up with um one of the things I called out in my video is the lineage of the processor, um, how the same processor was, well, pretty much the same processor, right, uh, was used throughout the the one, two, and three. Um, and I think in the episode I did with the three, 
you know, I talked a little bit about that and talked about how, um, you know, it, it's similar to the 6502 in a lot of ways, right? The 6502, not similar design for the chip, but in terms of the lineage, how the 6502 was used for all these systems. And even, even like, you know, the later Apple IIs and things, which you would think that the 6502 could never support and do all these crazy things that Waz got that thing to do. Um, I feel like uh, there's a similar situation here. And now being able to have a modern day replacement for that CPU, which is, uh, you know, much faster if you're running it in, um, uh, what is it, native mode, I guess. Yeah, six or nine. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty pretty tremendous story, actually, I think. Um, you would think that a company like Radio Shack or Tandy would go out and say, oh, there's this other new processor. We'll do something different for the Coco 3. Um, but, it, but it ended up just building and, and improving the architecture, at least it seems to me, um, over the years. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty amazing. Because it, it did have a long lifespan compared to some of the other systems yeah, that were good, out. Like a good yeah, 11, 12 years, I think, yeah. by the time they finished. Yeah. Been for, for a computer that was viewed, I think, by a lot of people as a, a cheap budget machine compared to, certainly compared to the Apple II, um, you know, it, it did pretty well, at least uh, um, as far as I'm concerned. And I think that's to to Tandy's credit. You know, they, they certainly could have done something else and they tried lots of different things, but, you know, they kept it around for quite a while and it seems like it did pretty well for him. Yep. We do have a question from Karen um, uh, in the live chat. He's a guy who created the XROAR emulator, if you're familiar with that or not. So he was asking about the Chroma A, Chroma B, C Chroma bias. He goes, uh, when you feed Chroma A and Chroma B to the analog board, are you giving it uh, Chroma bias and discriminating relative to that? Uh, I'm not, uh, I might not be saying it properly because I'm, I'm having a hard time reading this. So that question is above my pay grade. Okay. I think. <laughs> it's above mine too. Okay. I'll just be honest about well, it. I'm like, I'm not sure, uh, but you could look it up. I'm sure on the, the the support forum if you wanted. If you wanted to get that level of information, I'm sure Ian would be glad to to uh, to have a chat about how he does it. Um, the board itself uses comparators um, to figure out color and and balance and stuff like that. It's got two comparators by default, and it could be fitted with a third one for the Coco 3 um, because there's more color variance there. Uh, the palette is much, much bigger. I was at 64 colors. Or, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think so. Um, yeah. So it uses those comparators and, but in terms of the bias, I'm not sure uh, exactly how that works. I wish I did, but I don't. And then uh, Tim, Tim Linder was asking, what is the name of your hackerspace? Uh, Benicia makerspace. It's just Benicia makerspace.org. Do you spell that? Uh, B, can I spell it? It's, I live there. B E N I C I A, Benicia. B with a B is in boy. Benicia, then just makerspace, dot all org. one word, dot okay. org. I threw that out in the live okay. chat. Yeah. Okay. I was also going to space. Too. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it's a great space. We've got a we've got a big laser cutter now, uh, th 3D printers. I think we have four 3D printers. We have a big machine shop with uh, all kinds of big heavy. Uh, equipment for for cutting and bending metal and and everything, and then we've got a wood shop as well. So it's it's different than a lot of makerspaces. A lot of makerspaces just focus on the 3D printing, laser cutting, and electronics. Uh, but we do all of that plus some you know heavier uh, equipment. Break out the hydraulic too, like press from time to time. <laughs> there's a there's a VCF uh, near San Francisco that we've had the Coco represented the last well when we actually had them still. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, have you ever you been really to those? Can. Have you popped by the booth or anything? I, I'll be there in August. I'll be there for this one. Um, I haven't gone previously. Uh, partly due, I think. I think last year's was canceled, right? Due to the pandemic. Yeah, I think it yeah. went um, virtual. And then before, then the year before that, I was really just get, getting back into the swing of things and meeting people um, that were in the vintage community. Um, so I hadn't gone to that one, uh, but I, I'll be there this year. I'm thinking about bringing my, uh, uh, what do I call it? Um, Throne of Code. That's what I call it. The Throne of Code, which if you're a Game of Thrones fans, let me see if I, I don't know if you've seen this. I can pull up a picture probably. Yeah. Um, but it is a chair, uh, that is like the iron throne, but it's ah. built out of keyboards. Oh, well, that sounds comfortable. Could you have done Legos? Uh, Maybe make a Lego, is... uh, foot, uh, carpet. Now it's got the really loud Alps keys too. Like, does it click? <laughs> yeah. When you, you sit, sit down. Or... Yeah. Yeah. It goes click, 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 click. Uh, no, that's pretty funny. Let me, let me see if I can find this real quick, but it is, um, you know, I made it a while ago. It's, it's actually been around the, the tech community because for my job, you know, I go to a lot of these uh, conferences and whatnot, and we actually brought it. It's been to Vegas. It's been to New York City. Um, this was back when the show was in its uh, heyday, um, but uh, it's pretty cool. I added some LEDs to it. Um, what last, last for whatever the last thing was. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Oh, this is a great, great one. I love this picture. So we actually hired a um, uh, a, a woman. You'll see it here in the picture. Let me share this. There we go. Oh, wow. She looks very much like the uh, Dragon Queen. Yeah, that's cool. Exactly. Yeah, yeah we hired her. This, so this was at a big conference. I don't remember which one this was. Um, but it was in Vegas. And... Uh, you know, we were trying to track people to the booth and get people in and stuff. And so they, I, I said, Hey, I've got this thing. It's relevant, right. For what's, what's hot and, and popular right now with, right. with uh, game of Thrones. And they're like, yeah, let's bring it along. So we shipped it out to Vegas and uh, hired this woman who was great all day. She took pictures with people. Um, really, really nice. And uh, yeah. So I, I, I may bring that to uh, VCF West. Okay. Okay. I may be selling it if anyone's interested in buying it because it's pretty big. If anybody wants that for their living room, uh, let me know. But, uh, Throne of keyboards. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I'll probably be bringing that. I, I don't feel like bringing any, I, I don't think I have anything unique enough to bring to VCF West and show off. A lot of the people that I, 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 I trade with and um, talk to on a regular basis, they're bringing their unique systems, their old systems or whatever. I don't think I really have anything that interesting to bring. So, um, so I thought about bringing that and then just sitting around and talking to people and uh, anybody that was fans of the of the uh, YouTube channel. Mark, Mark Overholzer, are you guys planning on doing VCF this year? With the I'm planning on it. I've taken vacation time off from work. I just Excellent. Papers, but I haven't heard if anybody else is. So. We, had, we had a great Coco contingent two years ago. Uh, so Mark Overholzer was there, Tim Lindner, Rob Inman. Who else was there? Uh, Mikey, Michael Furman was Mikey. there. And they had about four or five tables set up. And there, wow. there was this something just for two. Uh, Was it two? It seemed like you had guys basically had like a Coco wing there. Yeah, you had uh, the Gimme like X prototype there, were, there. You had Coco So VW many there. things. Yep. Um, and so there were a lot of people who saw that they were like oh my god i can't believe the coco is still thriving and there's so many things there's just uh yeah it's really cool so i yeah. love it when we're able to represent our beloved underdog system to new you know new groups of people that probably didn't know what it was or what it can do even especially today so 
for yes. sure. Yeah. So no Mark, you might have to borrow his chair there so people can sit down and have a game on one of the cocoa. <laughs> <laughs> we need, we need, well, here's some cocoa humor. So there were some questions saying, hey, can we get one with the cocoa chiclet keyboard? Uh, and then if you guys are familiar with the cocoa two first generation one that had the melty keys, right? I'm just thinking, looking at that model there, she could melt my keyboard anytime, right? So yeah, look at that. So, uh, <laughs> wow. so yeah, so no, that's cool. The, the chiclet keyboard, the melty keyboard. Yep. So, um, Cool stuff. Very cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. That would be that would be fun if there was enough of those uh, broken cocos around. You could build it out of cocos, but I'd hate to do that. All right, the, because they're so because they can all be fixed. Yeah, yeah. You cocoa know, keyboards. That are... seems like a waste, but it would be it would be kind of fun. It is, like I said, it is surprisingly comfortable. So that that does sound surprising. Yeah. So my hope for VCF West is is the guy with the uh, cowboy hats there again. So yeah. yeah, we were we were pinning around doing some like this, uh, guys with their phones were kind of walking around and we were live streaming it on the show. I'm like, talk to that guy. He's got a really cool hat. And we just grabbed him and he just, <laughs> and he was a really interesting guy. He's like, oh yeah, man, I got a freaking Apple One here and I I'm friends with the guy from Google. And so the random guy with the crazy hat that we talked to was one of the most interesting people uh, of that whole event. So that was kind of cool. So, that's funny yeah cool um well i don't know i don't i don't want to keep holding you i feel guilty aaron so you're welcome to stay as long as you like but i appreciate you've been with us for an hour already so and you're welcome yeah. to stay as long as you like but um maybe we'll try to wrap up this segment and then um if you if you're able to stay and some more questions come up uh that's fine uh but anybody have any other questions for aaron while he's here anybody in the panel anybody watching us would, would you be willing to, to do a quick little guest interview about vcf when you're there sure. oh absolutely of course say hi of course, absolutely, yeah. Live demo of the throne. Yep, yeah, for sure. And also, feel free to ask us questions. I mean, I think you've already asked some stuff on YouTube and Facebook and comments and stuff, but I don't know if you're on our Discord or not. But uh, anytime you have questions uh, for any of us, feel free. Uh, I, yeah, not well. The gimme you mentioned the gimme X. I mean, I'm kind of curious what the status of that is, but um... uh, he's shipped out limited runs for people that kind of asked for them because he's it was in the midst of moving. Plus, he was buying some you know equipment to actually make them. He's just getting all that set up right now, so it should be on sale within a month or two, officially. Are you, oh, cool. are you, do you Discord? Awesome. You know what Discord is, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so we do have a Disco, Discord server. I almost said Disco. Okay. There's a ton so, of hardware yeah. I really, I was really hoping we had a Disco server. Yeah, Disco a server. Disco That's server. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, we'll shoot you the link to that. It's uh, yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, you can talk to any of the hardware gurus. Um, That's awesome. I'm sure yeah, they're going to want to pick your link. brain. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know about that, but I, I'm sure <laughs> next time... You know, I always have these questions. Sometimes you can find them online. There's a lot of good cocoa. Resources, so here's actually, the, we but... just we had a great suggestion here. Would you be interested in being a uh, a speaker at Cocoa Fest in November? We're doing a Cocoa Fest in Chicago. Uh, would I be interested? Yes. Would I be available? I doubt it. Unless okay. there was another conference for work that I could maybe, you know, do double duty with. So let me see. Send me the information and I'll take a look, though. I okay. won't say no right now. But, okay. Um, yeah, that's a that's a long flight. Yeah. Um, Stevie, go ahead and set up a work conference. Work. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, we'll set up a work conference for you. So, yeah. yeah, if you yeah. could make it, yeah. you know, cloud related, you yeah. know, something with uh, AWS or, or it'll Google probably or be cloudy in Chicago. So we should yeah. be fine. Okay. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> be windy. I will say it's, no. it's a long flight, but it's an even longer drive. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, drive definitely. Show, so. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, I don't have any, I don't have any more questions, but thanks for having me on guys. I really appreciate it. I oh. hear the kids getting up. Uh, it sounds like they're waking up. So I'm yeah, going to uh, make da some breakfast. David Craker in our live chat right now says, thanks for doing this, Aaron. My daughter enjoyed your Ferris intercom video last week. Uh, she awesome. wants to watch the movie now. <laughs> <So> <laughs> awesome. That's the second person that's told me that, that they've uh, see, they saw my video and they introduced it to their kids. I had a, a friend actually come over and bring his daughter <laughs> over to the house to, to, to do the doorbell and uh, uh no that's awesome i love to hear that <laughs> cool all right well thanks for Great. being here hang out as long as you can uh we're gonna we're gonna keep the uh the train rolling but we certainly appreciate it so we this has been aaron with retro hack shack and he's on twit and all kinds of stuff the makerspace again benicia makerspace.org which yep. we did post oh, i should link plug to this that. as well i guess before i get off is my book okay uh there it is right there you can kind of see it Linux for Makers. It's a little longer than the tooth right now. I've got to do a version two of it. But if you know someone who's into um, Raspberry Pi and doesn't know anything about Linux, but they are, they want to do some projects, uh, it'd be a great book for them because it just it, it explains the basics of Linux, right? Like what, it, what how the file system is structured, where to, where where you find things, what things do. Um, it's just an overview of Linux from the view of a maker. So. Uh, things that you need to know if you're going to go down the Raspberry Pi path. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And that's available on your website? That is, there's a link on my website on retrohackshack.com. Uh, there's a link there, or you can just look it up in Amazon. Very cool. Yeah. Thank, thank cool. you. Yep. Very cool. And may awesome. I'm going to hop off, guys. But All right. It's been great to see you guys. I I'll, yeah. uh, I had a great time. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks for being here. By. Thank you so you much. Bet. We'll see you. Okay, well, we're back with the rest of the show right now. We are back to our gallery view. Oh, we've been joined by Boat of Car. John Schaller is here from the Amigos. Brian, the music man, Shoebring, has joined us. George is here. Crikey, Nick Morenti's creeped in on us. I wasn't able to see all of the panelists when we were full screen. Um, excellent. Well, that was great. Thanks for making that happen, Curtis Boyle. Curtis Boyle is arranging. A lot. We got interviews in the pipeline. We got some things down the road. And so, um, you know, Rondell Vaux used to be our uh, wrangler of the celebrity interview. But uh, I think Ron's starting to slip a little bit. Curtis is picking up the slack. So good job wow. there, Curtis. Well, I started right doing that, and then Ron kind of took over for a bit. Yeah. We're just kind of trading roles here. Once right, we've just been joined by Mark Siegel, from, formerly from Radio Shack and uh, Facebook. Hello, Mr. Siegel. Thank you for stopping by. We'd love to get you on if you'd like to join us some point in time. Love to hear some some Radio Shack stories. Some insider scoops. Absolutely. Indeed. All right. How about we're going to do a break here, boys and girls? And what we're going to do is we're there. We have some new to Discord. And then we also have, um, at the end of that, we're going to plug next week's guest again, our 8-bit era and our Infocom stuff. So that's our guest from next week. So we're going to say, see who's new to Discord, plug our special guest next week, and then we'll come back with Nick Marota's favorite part of the show, which is the Game On Challenge, starring Nick Marota. So we'll be back after these words, boys and girls. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Please welcome SMH Seth, who got here by way of Malfunk and received his Coco 3 from him. He enjoys any retro system from the mid-90s and earlier. Enjoys playing games, but has been interested in hardware design and want to start learning various programming languages. Hopes to get the most from his Coco 3 by being here and seeing what others are doing with their Cocos. He has a few micros and a lot of Commodore pets. 
Protein Thread Jeff says, on MeWe, I'm Jeff and I'm into a lot of retro systems. I just started a Discord server for classic systems. Fabrizio Caruso says, I am a developer of the Crosslib, which is a universal vintage development framework to code games on about 200 different vintage targets of any kind. I cover several architectures, specifically the TRS-80 Coco 1 and 2, Dragon 3264, TRS-80 Model 1, 3 and 4, TRS-80 MC10, etc. HSI Jeremy says, now and then I bother L. Curtis Boyle in the Amigos Retro Discord about random stuff. What type of systems am I, am I into? Ones I didn't grow up with. What do you do as part of your retro hobby? Bother people. Been listening to Coco Talk for two to three years, I think. I think I learned about the Coco on some retro computer site. Then I looked up YouTube vids and found the show way back when. What do you hope to achieve by being here? Getting my Coco Pie running on my Pi 400 and finally digging into its library. Jerome says, hey everyone, I'd like to get a TRS-80 to experience it. I started my story with the 286, so I'd like to learn the classics that came before. From what I see, the Coco would be the best bet. MJG Mike says, my first computer was a Coco 3, which I used exclusively with OS 9. I'm into pretty much any older systems that run OS 9 or Unix. I have a buddy in Japan helping me score a Fujitsu FM77AV, and then we're gonna work on finding an FM11 because they run OS 9 with a 6809. Mostly I code and enjoy exploring those old machines. Found out about the Discord server by watching Steve's Coco videos on YouTube. I'm here mostly to stay in the loop with developments and resources for my Coco. Matt BBX says, I know this is a Coco server and I hope to pick up one one day. I don't have a Coco yet, but I did just pick up a Model 4 to restore. I have a thing for 80s computers. I also have an old Deckmate 3 that works, but the displays have all turned into nasty weird goo. And as always, we'd like to thank Paul Fiscarelli. Data Soup Terry Steggy and our Coco Talk patrons for boosting the Discord server. You can join us on Discord by going to discord.cocotalk.live. See y'all on Discord. Hi guys, this is uh, Stefan from Puddle Software. I create new Infocom style adventures for old machines, including uh, the Coco computer. Um, live on Coco Talk on the 26th this month, and uh, we're having an, an interview there. And if you guys are keen to learn more about my games and what I do and why I love the Coco, just tune in. Uh, we're live on Twitch TV, on on YouTube, or whatever media you like to. We're live everywhere. <laughs> just. Plug in, tune in, and uh, I'll be sure to answer your questions. All right, and we're back. So yeah, new to Discord. It's a thriving community. It's not just for nerds anymore. Everybody's coming in here. Uh, excellent, excellent. I'm looking forward to next week's interview with 8-Bit Era. Stefan, uh, learning all about his whole Infocom stuff that's running on the Coco and the Dragon and all kinds of other lesser 25 machines. 25 different eight yes. reference systems it runs on. Yeah, good stuff, good times. Nick Marotta, uh, how you doing there, Nick Marotta? I am doing well, thank you. I know I know this has been tough for you, having to wait for the spotlight. You're just not used to that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I went. I went and watched old episodes of uh, of uh, the game on to. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, I didn't. All right. So <laughs> this is Nick Marota's favorite part of the show, where it's all about him. 
<laughs> so the game on challenge this week, we played a little game called Poo Yan, and mm-hmm. uh, I believe there is a Coco Thoughts. I believe Samuel Gimes was possibly inspired. I don't know if this is going to be a song parody. I know Ron Dovo is a big fan of those. Um, but uh, we have a Coco Thoughts that is possibly inspired by this week's game, and then we have the results. So let's see what's going on here with this week's Coco Thoughts. And then we'll jump right into the Game On Challenge results. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Shoot all the wolves, man. You gotta save your piggy hide. It's gracious. Shoot all the wolves, man. You gotta dodge them so you will not die. Shoot all the wolves, man. You gotta save your piggy hide. Go on, man. Shoot all the wolves, man. Go switch the pallets to save your eyes. That looks much better. Wow. 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 I am speechless. Isn't that most of the time? You're wow. Oh, my goodness. I, I am not familiar with the source material. What was that song uh, parodying? For the, the wolf man. What was it? Yeah. Okay. Who's it by? Who's it by? Well, James Jones says, yes, I'd, I'd like to apologize on behalf of the U.S. and Canada and to Burton, Burton Cummings, Cummings in particular. Yeah, Burton Cummings. There was a later one after Randy Bachman left the, the band. So this so was, was that enough. by BTO? No, it was by the Guess Who. Okay. After oh, guess Randy who. left. Okay. okay. Yeah, James yeah. Jones says it was called Clap for the Wolfman by the Guess Who. Okay. Yeah. I was just yeah. not familiar with the source song. And it was cool. It, it fit. It fit well for the game. That's Why should cool. I have to guess? Aren't you going to tell us? <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny story about they, they, they got the record contract and they didn't have, they had a name, but they couldn't use it because it was used by some other band. So they just submitted it and just wrote, guess who, you know, uh, as to who they were. And they do you know who the guests who are, Stevie? They did American Woman. I know American the name of the song? band, but I, yeah. Okay. These eyes cry every yep. night. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, Explore has just joined us. Hello, John and all. Okay. Hello, Explore. Excellent. Okay, well, that was cool. Thank you, Mr. Gimes, once again, for your talents, and you're, just, you're an endless pool of inspiration for us all. So we're going to go ahead and see what the results were this week, and then we'll let, listen to uh, what we all thought about the game. So here we go. High Score Challenge. Welcome back, everybody, to the results of this week's Game On Challenge. This week we played Poo Yan. There were 19 participants, and the scores were as follows. Bob and Coco with 6,200 points. Nico, 68, 14,250. Joshua Craker, 14,800. Rick Yu, 15,200. Gary M, 18,200. Coco Discord user, 19,300. Rich N, 
20550 Mr. Dave, 6309, 28300 Polly, how you doing, Fiscarelli, 35900 Arg, it's Alan Murphy, 44600 Paul Shoemaker, 45850 Jim Rye, 48100 Buck Owens, 48600 Sabhead, 56750 Canadian Retro Thanks, 59150 L. Curtis Boyle with five minutes before supper coming in at 80,400. <laughs> TJB Chris, YouTube celebrity, 86,250. Hasman, 111,400 points. And the top score this week comes as somewhat of a surprise. Person we don't see on the top of the leaderboard too often. That person was, wait for it, wait for it. David Craker, he pigged out with 131,650 points. Great job there, David Craker. Congratulations, and thank you to everyone who played this week, and we look forward to playing next week's game. Oh, very there you nice. go. I didn't see that one <laughs> coming down, nice. did you? All right. Boom. Great job, David Craker. Yeah, when you see Buck Owens score somewhere in the middle of the list, you know something has gone horribly wrong in the universe, right? So <laughs> good job, guys. So, Nico, what are you going to tell yes. us about Puyan? I am trying to share. Hold on. What's going on here? That is a great question. What is going on here, Nico? This is a Try professional show. Yeah. Your hair looks fabulous. All though. right. There we go. Oh, thank you. Okay. Here we go. We should be coming up now. Yeah. So I don't know if uh, David Craker held on to that score because I do know on the Friday we had a score by David, a score by Tasman. And then not long after we had the other, the final score by David. So I don't know if he held on to that for the, uh, for the little uh, surprise at the end. Or I, not. I do have but, a quick question for you. Is yes. it possible to get any more little icons down there in your taskbar? I think you've got room for some more there. Yeah. Yeah. At least another row. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've right. honestly never seen two rows of icons. Yeah. In the trailer yeah. Before. That, that's impressive. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I, I believe in using my computer to its full extent. There you go. All right. So once again, we have gameplay footage by uh, Canadian Retro Things. Thank you very much, CRT. Check out his channel for retro stuff, including Coco and other systems. Uh, David Craker says great piggy production values. Uh, thank you, David Craker. You're too kind. Yeah, that was that was good. So yeah, Puyan, definitely not one of my better games. I was, uh, <laughs> I, I was uh, second to last this week, which uh, thankfully I don't really, uh, I'm not that competitive. So otherwise I'd be pretty upset. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is a tough game. I actually, I made it to the bonus level. That's as far as I got. Um, and then the, and then the, like the scoring after the bonus level. So, uh, which for me is very good because I find this first level really hard. Um, because once those wolves get on the right-hand side, um, pretty dead. So, any, um, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good translation, and definitely benefits from the, uh, 
the palette change because the built-in palette's pretty hard on the eyes. Yeah. Not sure why they went with that color set, but uh, it can be summarized by one of the authors because he really liked that color set. And yes. Steve York's talked about him before. Yeah. I don't know what it is about that color set that he likes so much. Well, he was colorblind. Other than the background color, a lot of the other colors did kind of work. So you had the orange and the green, right? So the orange was kind of like the tree trunk and the green was the leaves. Yeah. So that part worked, but then you were just left with this really god-awful background color. That the white just, and the purple. Yeah. So um, some of the colors made sense, but, you know, when you only have four colors to play with, you're not always going to get the four you want, right? But yeah. on the other hand, the other color set, the, the green, yellow, blue, red, was perfect for Puyan. It was close to the arcade. Like if you've seen the patch that right, Nick and right. I did, yeah. it's way closer. Like it looks way yeah. better. Yeah. I don't know why he picked this. Yeah, it's creative, uh, creative license, right? So. But he, he did like that color set. I mean, Steve's mentioned, I mean, he did Canyon Climber, same color set. You know, he was, that was his favorite. Yeah. Well, this color set that he's using, this isn't the built-in one, is it? No, this it is a this different. is a palette hack. Or yeah, just, a palette yeah, hack. just yeah. I don't know which, which palette hack this is, though. That's not the one this we nicknamed. Or it could just yeah, be it's running in composite and not in RGB or something. This I don't one know. doesn't look too bad. No, not that, bad. That, that's, this is pretty good. Yeah, it's just the contrast yeah. that when you have those really weird neon colors, they all kind of... Yeah, the magenta and yeah. cyan and orange and... I think visually, um, great, great graphics, great port. Um, you know, the whole sprite engine, how everything was just so smooth and, you know. Yep, the little musical interludes, both yeah. the beginning at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I never actually played this one in the arcade, so I didn't have any basis comparison. But uh, I don't even know if I knew it was an arcade game. I don't think so either. Day. I think my first exposure to this was on the Coco. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that's strange. I actually did play the arcade one before I played the Coco one, so. Yeah, I guess it wasn't terribly popular. Kind of like in the other one, too, like Moon Shuttle. I never saw Moon Shuttle out in the wild, but I did play it on the Coco, you know, back in the day. Yeah, that, that one I had not seen in the arcade until well after the Coco one. But yeah. Puyen, I did see. It was, it was semi-popular around here, anyway. Yeah, this one's a pain except to hit the balloons three times. Yeah. Unless you hit them at the exact right spot, then you can knock it off in one. Oh, really? What is that, like at the uh, the small the peak top, of it? I think? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh is okay. it the top? Okay. I think I'm trying to remember here, but and then you got like the mega shot. Yeah. And then you also get the red flashing wolf, which will actually count as I think five wolves when you kill it or finish the level basically early. If it hits the ground. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did see him. I didn't know what his deal was, but I think I missed him and I got five and then it ended up adding five more to the, to the count. Yeah. What, what are oh, there's, there's different strategies. I, one, one question for all of you actually, who's played it. Um, you prefer the keyboard controller or joystick controller? Or have you tried both? I only used keyboard. I mean, I, much I, only, I, only use, I only use joystick, I should say. Digital joystick. Yeah, yeah like even, even when I had a switch joystick, I just, a keyboard always worked better for me on this one. I don't know why. I, did, I just was wondering what you guys experienced. I've never tried keyboard. I should. It's one of the nice ones too, in, in the in the sense that if you picked up a Coco for the first time on eBay or something, it didn't come with joysticks. This is one of the games that you don't need them. You can you can play it on keyboard ah, and it plays quite well. Canyon Climber would do that too. Yeah, I think, I think and Canyon. you know Phantom Slayer Invaders Avengers, a few others. Because I know some people like um, it's uh, the guy in Spain, uh, the Irish guy in Spain. There, when he picked it up, he only had keyboard. He had no joysticks for a few months. He that, actually um, sent me a message asking like, what games can I play with keyboard? That eight bits in the basement. Yes, that's it. I can't remember his real name now, but at least I remembered that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tasman was keyboard or digital joystick. 
Cool. But yeah, I mean, that little special thing there, which shoots across, of course, it'll take all of them out. Yeah, what is that and called? That, I, that I have, super arrow. It, I'd have to take a look was, in the manual. Someone said it was meat. Yeah, it's a hunk of meat in the manual. Hunk of meat, huh? Okay. To me, it looks like a corn cob, but... Uh, yeah. So all the wolves then... jump off their balloons to eat it. Oh, is that what it is? Oh, okay. All right, we can go with that. I, I, assume, I... It's not, I assume it's not ham. No, just out of taste. curiosity, does this game take place in space? <laughs> Would have sold better if it yeah, did, I'm sure. Wolves in... Or the, pig, the, the pigs, pigs in space! In space. <laughs> yeah, right, so, yeah. That would be really good. Someone should yeah. do that. Just make, just make the background a Starfield. It's an easy mod, and boom, it's a space game, right? So. Commander, Commander Link, was that his name? Yeah, just change the balloons to little rocket ships, and you're ready to go. You know that was Muppet Show, right, Steve? Yeah, the Muppet Show, Pigs in okay, Space. Yes, yes, okay, good. Yes, okay. Yes. Yeah. Just checking. Yeah. But so basically, yes. there's, there's three levels. There's the uh, the first level, which we're looking at right now. There's the other, or sorry, this is the second level. The first level where, you know, you're basically just trying not to get bitten by the wolves on the right-hand side. There's this level. Then there's also a bonus round, which basically it picks a random wolf on the left side and starts throwing fruit and vegetables at you. And then it'll always go in the same pattern. So it'll go down and then back up and then down and back up. So that particular level, my strategy is you only shoot when you're lined up. So you just kind of follow where they're going. And then you can get a big bonus if you get them all. But if you're yeah. constantly firing like you normally would do in these levels, you'll almost miss you know, at least a couple of them. You won't get the big bonus. So that was one thing. Uh, deflecting the arrows down if you hit the staff of a balloon on this level. Of course, it'll deflect downwards and it'll take all the wolves out below. Yeah. So sometimes you hit the top wolf once to slow his balloon down to give you more time. Then you go up with him a little bit and then you shoot to take out all the wolves below and then you go and just have one or two shots to finish off the top wolf. Hmm. Oh. Mark Siegel says good. this was one of the worst selling games on the Coco. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. It's a it's a well made game. It's sad as well. I think because this one was only sold on cassette, right? This wasn't a cartridge, yeah. right? Did, did you have to get it through that catalog thingy too? I don't remember. No, it was sold in the it stores. It was sold in the stores, but on tape. I don't know why, yeah. but um, maybe it would have done better if it was on a ROM pack. Maybe but it just wasn't a ROM pack. Maybe it wasn't a popular game either. No, it's I a very well made game. It shows off the abilities of the Coco quite well. Like in the arcade, maybe it wasn't that popular. Oh, just like, in general, it wasn't as general. popular as like your Pac-Mans and your yeah. you know, other things. Yeah, it definitely wasn't up at that level in the arcade. But like I said, I even, in our arcade, it was you know semi-popular. It wasn't as, like the most popular. As far Where does as the a... name Puyan come from? Anybody know where the name Puyan comes from? Um, Chinese for pig or something? Uh, it was who made the Konami, right? Was Konami what? Konami. Konami, were they uh, like think, a, an Asian base? Japanese or something. Okay, okay. Or Japanese, yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know. Okay, could be. Anyway. We'll have our crack team get to the bottom of that. Somebody uh, ask, yeah. ask Siri or Alexa or something. If only uh, there was a website like Google that you yeah, could search on. Yeah. Clob.com <laughs> will give you a lot of information in the arcade, KLO. <laughs> Ken Reichard says that's Japanese for ham sandwich. Yeah, and Mark Siegel says out of Japan. Yeah. yeah. Paul Shoemaker says it was one of the handful of games he bought for his Coco back in the day. Yeah. Um, Man, I, it was it was a really good one because it, it had you know some variety of levels. It was an actual arcade official port, which we didn't get that often, especially in the Coco One and Two days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was and, well made, um, and it's it, uh, devilish, devilishly difficult. I I found. I mean, I've tried playing it a few times, and I end up rage quitting because it's just like really, you know. Yeah, it's hard. Cue David Ladd soundbite here, right? Really, right? So it's just. Um, yeah, I can't believe that's meat. It just looks like a big, you <laughs> know. Like meat to me. Yeah, okay. 
But I, I never found the game that hard. I mean, I, I usually back in the day would get to the second or third round. Of course, the fruit or vegetable changes each time you get to a bonus round. And I think a couple of the high scores here uh, on the on the game on challenge actually got up to the third or fourth round of them. So I don't know. I just had a hard time avoiding those uh, things that the wolves were throwing at me. The big problem that I have with this particular port is it doesn't seem like you have the same amount of vertical space right. uh, that you do in the arcade version or even the other you know 8-bit computer ports. Everything seems condensed down vertically, which doesn't give you as much room to operate. Um, but mm. Right. Yeah, that could kind of put you at an unfair advantage because it's no, is that because they made the sprites a little too big you think boat or yeah i think so i think maybe maybe everything is just a little bit bigger than it is on the other of course the arcade version the sprites are big and beautiful but if you compare it to the atari 8-bit version uh you get almost another say a quarter of screen real estate vertically and maybe they wanted to fit it into that four by three mold a little bit more completely and, and not sort of cut off half the screen like you have to do with any sort of the, the vertical orientation games when you pour them over. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I haven't really played the other ports on the other 8-bit systems, so I didn't really have anything compared to just the arcade. It's kind of like trying to squeeze Donkey Kong into a four by three too. Like, the, you know, you had to do something. Yeah. You had to either like take right. out a level or do something, but... Um, yeah, it does kind of put you at a, an unfair advantage as far as kind of real estate here uh, to work with. Or you might skip a whole row on Donkey Kong like most of the. the yeah, thing. yeah. Not Donkey King. They did, it was a really good port. <laughs> that's why I said it. I know. <laughs> I've heard that's a really great game. It is. Hey, yeah, hey, John, yeah. That's <laughs> okay, Paul Shoemaker is asking, what's the deal with the red wolf? You're saying that one counts as five wolves if you hit him? So yeah, he... basically, if you shoot the red wolf down, like if you've got, say, four wolves left or something like that, and the red one comes, you kill him, then you instantly win the level as soon as he hits the ground. You don't have to finish the rest of the wolves individually. Okay. I don't, Rick, is there an official explanation in the uh, manual about that? I, I didn't read the manual, so. No, I missed that part. Piece of meat, yeah. David Crager says it looked like a flaming arrow to him, which, which seems better. <laughs> it's, it's funny everybody takes a look at it. It's a completely different yeah. thing. corn, corn on the cob, it's flaming a, it's arrow, a burger. piece it's a burger, of meat, obviously. right? It's just, yeah. Uh, yeah. This is like we're playing Mad Libs right now, right? So no, but no, it's a good yeah. game. It's good. Yeah, I I think this is this to me. This game is better to watch. Like I'd rather watch somebody else play than to play it myself because I always got frustrating. This is like a great spectator game if somebody's halfway decent at it. Right. Yeah, you kind of you kind of need Marty Feldman eyes so you can look to the right and the left of the screen at the same time. <laughs> I was really hoping the super arrow was Twizzlers. Twizzlers. Well, maybe it was. Oh, there was the red arrow. Uh, the red wolf. Yeah. Red wolf. Scott Cooper in the chat says that it might actually be Pooh. Pooh. <laughs> of the Pooh Yan. There That's you right. go. Uh, here's the fruit round. So do you catch yeah. the fruit or shoot the fruit? Shoot it. Shoot it. But you'll see it goes like top to bottom to top to bottom. Okay. It just goes back now, and forth. The, so you can time them. If the fruit makes contact with you, does that count as a collision and you lose a life? Is it this like similar? No, nope, it the just goes through you. You don't oh, get any points. Okay. Okay. And you get 200 point bonus for each one you manage to shoot. But if you get them all, I think it's a 5,000 point bonus. So it's a pretty sizable one. Nice. Now, I don't think I've ever seen that throwing fruit round before. I never made it that far in the game. Yes. Yeah, and then on later levels like well. this, you'll, you have more wolves to contend with to get through the level. Yeah, they, they do that beyond level one, Stevie. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Note to self. Cool stuff. Uh, is there anything else we need to say about this? Have we said... Oh, there is definitely if you have a Coco three or a Coco VGA, go get the patch version because the palette's a lot closer to the arcade. It just looks a ton better. Yeah. 
this isn't it we're showing you here oh, this, this, but this, this isn't all right one that no, looks good it works it yeah it's, it's all right it's definitely it's, better than the original it's, it's not as good as the the one we patched or okay nick Morandi's if you're on who did the um coco vj patch i can't even remember now oh that was uh i think it was fedor i think it was fedor who had done that Fedor came up with his version of kind of like what you guys did with the Coco 3 games disc with the little menu to let you load games on different palette sets. I think okay. that was Fedor who did that, but it's been a while. Yeah, because that was, that was really nice because that means people with Coco 1s and 2s that don't have a Coco 3, which are you know getting quite rare to find for affordable prices these days, can actually get some of these palette packs that Nick and I did. Very cool. All right, we ready to uh, move on to talk about next week's game? The suspense is killing me. All right. Come on, word processor. So next week, uh, keep hoping. You never know. Ooh, Pedro. 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 I thought it's it a dragon that K- port game, isn't it? I don't know. Is it? I six six you'll verify, but I'm pretty sure. I had this as a kid. I did so, too. I had it on the Coco back in the day. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it was because uh, not too many of the big dragon ones got sold here, so maybe I'm wrong on that one. I thought so, it was one of the ones made in the UK. First so this time. one, you're kind of like a gardener, right? You have to plant. Uh, things plant and, the flowers, and then you the have to like has... get the bricks to prevent the bugs from coming and eating your garden, right? You only get like one brick, so you can put a brick here, and that permanently keeps the the critters from coming down. And then you have your pile of dirt here. That with that you can build temporary brick uh, dirt bricks that keep that keep oh, the okay. uh, critters. Well, you, but you... they but they eventually break their way through those. And uh, so you want uh, so you basically you have to survive. The timer counts down. So you have to survive the round. Okay. Uh, having flowers left over. Okay, so kind of like missile command, you get get a points for remaining um, things. And your flowers do not get replenished if you lose. Like if you go to a level with only one flower left, that's it. The next level that carries over. And you got to go. So you have to go pick seeds, and you have a certain number of seeds in your box, and plant them. So you have to keep your. You have to keep uh, some flowers growing. As long as you have flowers, you continue. There's a resource management component to this. Yeah. And Karen is saying, yes, it was on the dragon. Imagine made it. And it says our version is way better than the BBC micro version. So apparently this was on other, another platform too. Interesting. And this is another one that's keyboard or joystick. Okay. Space bar or fire. This was Farmville. Farmville. Right. (laughs) Interesting. So that's our game for the week. And this one, these colors work well, right? Because you have the green. Yeah. It's basically the grass. grass. Yeah. You got your bricks, bricks, you know, and uh, your little flowers. So, yeah. Yeah, this one is this one's good. Okay. All right. So thank you, uh, CRT, for the video. Thanks, guys, for taking part. Thank you, Stevie, for your video and for the uh, letting me do the segment. And we'll see you next week. Excellent. Well, thanks for the warning. Um, uh, Sixy also mentions the music is kind of cool in this, like Cosmic Cruiser from the same company. And then he says, guess what it plays when all the flowers are gone? Uh, I have no idea. Karen, it would be like taps or something? <laughs> the funeral march? Yeah, I don't remember. So I'm waiting for his response because he's got a bit of a lag. Okay. Where have all the, where have all the flowers gone? Where That's have a song. all the flowers gone? That would be a good song to play. Long time. Is it played on a ukulele is the real question. It should be. It can be. We can patch the game. He says, yep. So does that mean it was taps or flowers? Guess what? uh, When all the flowers are gone. Which one? Which one is it? We're on the the edge of our seats. Yes, yes. Which one is it, You must know. Oh, we got it, but which one is it? Which one? We gave multiple answers. Now he's just teasing us. Guess who again? 
Oh, it plays Where Have All the Flowers Gone. Oh, it does. Oh, wow. Okay, it actually does play that. That okay. is cool. Interesting. That is clever. That's a deep that cut. That is clever. Yes, it is. I'm, uh, I'm already busy losing at a round, so it should be any time now that it ah, plays. Right. You're getting a head start on this? Well, I actually... It's no, been, I don't it's even been remember how to play this game. It's been announced, so you're not really getting a head start. No, I, so it, I, a... it's officially announced. No insider information. Nothing was disclosed to me prior. Yeah. Um... All right, excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, so we have finished our game on uh, segment. George, Jay, are you still awake? <laughs> yep, unmuted. I was sleeping for a while. Okay. Uh, have you got some assembly for us? Sure do. Well, well we will. Yeah, I don't want to keep you waiting like nine hours today. So, but how about we'll switch gears and we'll get into our next assembly segment, and then we'll follow that up with game on news and, and snoozy newsy. And all that good stuff. Is that okay with you, Curtis? Yeah. L. Curtis Boyle. Uh, all right. So we're going to spotlight you, George J. And I think, uh, I don't know if you saw any other feedback, but in my opinion, I, I enjoyed last week's segment as, you know, keeping it as basic as possible, pun intended. And um, and I, I wish I had time to have worked through the example. I did, I did want to work on that, but I, I still plan on doing that. But my real work got in the way. Uh, but I'm looking forward to more of these. I did also got your um, the editor that you're using the uh, what you call it thing the Visual Code. Visual, Visual Code. Yeah, I got that going. That's kind of neat. So um, I've made a little bit of progress. Good. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna share my screen here. Okay. Get going. There we go. Well, I hope everybody that uh, was was interested did at least look at the code from last week because that was about as basic basic as we could get as far as uh, putting something together. Uh, I don't know how fast to move along, but we're going to do something very similar to, the, to what we did last week. Uh, there's there's what we kind of looked at, at today. I mean, anybody have any questions about last week's assignment like? I mean, I don't know if anybody even cared or worked on it or... I, I didn't not. get a chance to do the assignment. I was just wanting to try to recreate what you did by putting stuff on the screen in more than one spot. But I, I got as far as at least getting the environment set up. Okay, well that's that's a start. Yeah. Okay, because right, we're going to do something very similar this week. Instead of just putting three little things on the screen, we're going to do a whole screen full this week here. It's pretty much the same thing. Uh, just uh, just just add a little bit more more code. Uh, See, I want to bring up the uh, up the code, okay? And I, I put the, the a zip file out there with all this different code, both the basic programs and the assembler programs, okay? For anybody who wants to look at what we're going to do, I guess I probably should run the. Uh, yeah, the and um, somebody had mentioned in a comment that when they're watching this live or watching the replays, it's hard to see where your mouse pointer is, and we're seeing that again right now. Your mouse pointer on the screen share seems very, very small. And that must be a Zoom thing, because we did try before we went live to address that and make the mouse pointer bigger, but it's back to being very small again. It's hard to yeah. see. So and it's, very big, it's very big on my screen, because yeah. we, we didn't yeah. enlarge it for the show. Yeah. Maybe I'll look into it this week. And, uh, and I believe you. So I would just say, when you're getting ready to go over the source code, since people probably won't see where the pointer is, maybe you can selectively highlight a piece so we can yeah yeah something like that just to have just to give people a cue to where you are right, okay. as you're talking um 
Okay, well, this week we're going to try to fill the screen up with uh, diff different characters as opposed to just poking a dot here and poking a dot there. So I've already got the basic program uh, loaded in, so I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and run that and show you what we're going to do. Okay, and I'm, I'm using a black, uh, white background, white screen on the cocoa this week. It's easier to see, I believe. Okay. <clears throat> and this is our code here, just each uh, 16 lines, a different uh, character on each line. That's that's all we're going to do this week. This is a basic program run, which, uh, like I said, the code is out there. And then it sits there and waits for you to hit a, a key, and it, it's done. So let's quickly, the... Uh, basic code, there it is, it's not very long. It's got that same calculate routine where calculate where you, you go on the screen, you know, it's a row times 32 plus column and the, the, the same thing. Now, if you notice in uh, basic, there is no locate command like there is on the Coco 3. There's a print at command, but all it looks is, is for a number like it's, I want to print it position uh, 10. Well, it just adds the beginning of the screen, the 400 or hex 400, and it adds 10 to it. So there is no row column, if you will, under the COCA 1 and 2. So but that's what we're doing here. So we can, we'll calculate where we want to put something. And that's the, our same calculate we used last week. Okay. I'll cut it down there towards uh, the, the screen begin plus the row times 32 plus the column. Okay, and then we poked it in. Let's, uh, here's the assembler language version of it. Right, I put a, a series of variables to start with. Okay, there's our beginning of our screen, hex 400 or 1024. Uh, so I save that in SV. I'm using the same tag names as I did the variables over on the basic program, so it's maybe easier to follow. Then we're going to put our number of characters per line, our 32. We're going to save that in the width, WD. Uh, 16 number of lines or height. Score that in a variable called HT for height. Load our character we're going to put on the screen, which is the A, and save it in a variable called CH. And here's our same code from the, uh, the basic program, our outer loop for j equals zero to the height minus one, okay, because remember our, our, our uh, we're using a zero base here, so we can't do the full 16. We go from zero to hc minus one is, is the same as 16. Here's our loop, load a, and store it in the j. So at our j from zero to, we're gonna start j, keep forgetting to highlight these, and save it. All right, the outer loop, very first thing we do is Go sub, which in the basic program you'll see it in there was to, to go sub to the calculator team. Which I'm calling it, I'm calling it print care, PRTCHR, which here's our routine right here. This what is what the, does pound zero mean when you're doing load A? That's the, that's the direct, it's going to load whatever's behind that pound sign in the A. We could also could have done a clear A, CLR A would be the same thing. Yeah, the number sign basically means use literally whatever's after here. So this is load A with the number zero. 
Okay. Not from a memory address. And that would be in this case here. They're, they're one and the same. But is it then presume this is decimal zero, even though hex zero is the same? Would you have to do dollar yeah. zero if you yeah, want? Yeah, because there's no dollar sign. Correct. Okay. Yeah, they're both the same. And that's why last week I mentioned if you if you don't have that that if you don't have a pound sign in there, it's going to take address zero on the computer. And whatever's in the location zero of memory, right? Right. So and that will that will cause you headaches. So what we're doing is just, I, I left it in there because I thought it might be easier than using the clear A. We're going to actually load up zero in the register and store it. This is our far I equals zero loop. Okay, that's that loop there. There's okay. our I. We're going to load it up and save that. Then we're going to calculate the position on the screen. And this routine here, we use this pretty much for everything for the next week or two. Pick our current column and put it in register B. And we're going to clear A now, okay? This is it. We're inside the loop now, okay? So we're going to end up with, remember how we hit D was a combination of A and B? Yeah. All right. So we've got, in the D register, we're going to have 0, 0, 0, 0, or whatever was in uh, our I counter. We're going to add to that the screen beginning of our screen address. Remember at the beginning, we put our screen address? At 1024, put that in SB. Yeah, screen beginning or whatever. Yeah. All right, so now we got our, our current column plus the beginning, and we saved that off temporarily in a variable we're calling PP or print position. Now we're going to use our outside loop, which had the J, which was for J equals. Okay, we're going to learn the current row, which currently it has a zero in it. So that's where we started. Then we're going to load the width, the, the WD, the width of the screen, or the number of characters per row, which is 32, and we're going to multiply it. Okay, so 32 times zero is going to come out as zero, but that we have to get, we'll go to step through the loop, and it will be more. Then we're going to come back and we're going to add what we just saved up here earlier, the beginning screen position plus the column. We're going to add it together, and that's going to give us our final resting place for this character on the screen. Remember D, A, B, and D, remember them are, are, are accumulators, not index pointers. So we're going to transfer it from D over to register X, okay, which is an index register, which, which we can point to memory from there. Now what we're <coughs> going to put screen, we're going to load the, the character. We're going, what we're going to use for the character is whatever that outside loop was, J, it has a zero, right? And we're going to add 65 to it. Remember what 65 is? 65 is capital letter A. So we're adding 65 to zero, which is still 65. So we're going to start off with the letter A. Exactly. In our first line. Yep. And then we're going to store it at X, which we we calculated. So we're going to store it on the screen. So in a very First position up there in the upper left-hand corner, row zero, column zero, we'll, be, we'll put an A. Then we're going to enter, here's our, our, our do next loop, okay? We're going to increment I. This is the inner loop, so we're going to update, increment it by one. We're going to load that into register A, and we're going to compare A to the width, okay, which is the WD. We're going to see if it's, see if we're done with that complete row all 32 characters. Branch not equal, do next. Okay, we're going to, we're going to do this through the next, and basically the next loop. So we're going to go back to in loop, which is 
the top of the loop. This is remember mm -hmm. our for, for, for I equal for I equals. Yeah. And we're going to go through the same thing again. This time we're going to load and it's going to have a one in the current column. Okay. Because you incremented it. You did an increment on I, which was the variable, which means make I, I equals I plus one plus in basic one. terms. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Right down here, we did an increment and we did yeah. by one. So next time through, it's got one in it. We'll clear, we'll add our screen beginning and we'll store that off temporarily. We'll bring back in our current row. We'll go through that same thing. We'll take it, put the 32 in there. We'll multiply it. We'll add our screen address to it. And now what we end up is, is row zero, column two. We're gonna transfer that over to X We'll load in the character this time. Okay, it still has that zero in there. We're going to add to it, which again is an A, and we're going to store that into the next position. All right, we'll continue through with that loop, continuously going through there until we get down here to this compare. Once we get up to 32, which WD happened to be the width, it gets up to 32, it will be equal. Right. If it equals, it will fall through here and we're done with the subroutine. We're going to do a return sub. So we went through it 32 times, printed 32 A's across the screen. Now we're done with the subroutine. We'll go back up here to the outer loop. Okay, we did a branch subroutine to the inner loop. Right. All right, now we're going to increment J. Up here was J equals zero to HT minus one. So we're going to increment J. We'll load A up with J to see what it is, and we'll compare it to the height or the number of rows, okay, which up there was 16. So if it's if it's not equal to 16, we're going to go back, going to branch not equal to the outer loop, which is right back up here. Okay, you understand that one? We're basically going down. After we've gone across 32 times, we're going down one. And exactly. as long as we're not at 16, which is the bottom... Uh, column, then we're going to continue to do that. Exactly. We're going to do that that lower loop 16 times. Okay. So we cut here. It wasn't, it was now we're J has one in it. So it's not equal to 16. We'll go up here and go back down to the inner loop. And, and the only thing the inner loop's going to do the exact same thing. The only thing different about it is, is when we get down here, we're going to load A with J. J now has a one in it. And now we're going to add 65 to that. It becomes 66, which is B. Exactly. We're yeah. going to go through and and do 32 of them. And we're gonna keep going through until J gets to 16 and we'll fall through. We'll jump off to basic to look for, you know, this is the same thing as a uh, dollar equals N key. If N key is not equal to quote, quote, keep looping. That's that's the same thing as that, that little routine you always put in your basic program. Once you touch the keyboard, get a key, it will fall through, return and go back to basic. Okay, and let's go uh, back here again, and let's. Wait, so down. what we're seeing is the leftover of your basic program that did that. Yep, I'm mm -hmm. gonna let's say run again, and that's what it's doing. What right. we're doing, jumping through it. And this is in basic. It's doing a lot of comparatives and stuff yep. in the middle of all this. So and this it's all is... in floating point too. Right. <laughs> yep. So and, uh, basic is last source. So I'm gonna I'm gonna break in that because that's not fun. Okay, now I'm gonna I've already got loaded in, so I'm gonna execute it. It's already loaded in the. Uh, so I'll do it in in a similar language. There you go. Poof. Poof. 
poof look at that and then you have a you have a, a wait for key thing in there which is one of one of the questions i was going to ask you once i started getting my program because i'm still on last week where you said okay you did something in the center of the screen now do it in a few other locations i'm my brain is still trying to finish that request and yeah. one, of, one of the things i was going to ask you or somebody in the chat was how do you do like a pause key at the end of this before you return to basic and and, that, and that's in here where is that on line 40 get help get character so what is what is get care is that a rom call yes yes okay so that's it's just one of the few that... official ones that uh, microsoft and tandy put in if you look at the end of the uh, basic manuals yeah there's a few little things like pull cat which is pull um well there's separate reading and reading around cassette there's reading the keyboard reading the joysticks reading a character like this there's a few not very many there's a few okay. calls you can and, officially and honestly call. that's probably going to be good enough for me for right now but eventually when i'm a little bit more feeling more like a, a warrior i'm going to want to know how to do it all and and straight up assembly versus borrowing yeah. from the rom but yeah no that's cool that's cool. that line this line in basic a dollar in key and just you're waiting for a key to be yeah. pressed okay then that is the three lines right there yeah, and that actually is the in key routine in basic. So yes, it's basically the same thing. Yeah, it's literally the same code. Yeah, and and real quick, I just want to uh, address a few of the comments about the quality of the stream on YouTube. A few people have been mentioning that throughout the show today, and honestly, uh, I am not seeing it. I believe you. I believe some of you are having some some quality issues or some buffering issues, but. Uh, some people are mentioning, well, I'm using a particular browser and in this browser, YouTube doesn't look as good as Twitch. So I do apologize for those who are having some bandwidth issues watching us on YouTube, but I'm watching it on an app on my smart TV just to make sure we don't lose the stream. And I have not had a single buffer or a single loss of anything. So your mileage may vary based on your bandwidth and your browsers and stuff. But, um, I believe most people will say that if you watch it on Twitch, um, Twitch has always seemed to be better for a lot of people. Yeah, and we're simulcasting, so just pick the one that works the best for you at your location. Basically. Yeah, and then it was also mentioned, which we've also talked about, that seeing um, George's mouse pointer has not worked, but he is highlighting the text. So we are taking your feedback to make sure that this this works well for people. And and so yeah, uh, I'm I'm kind of following you, George. You're making sense to me. And, okay. um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's good. That's a plus, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I consider myself the target audience. Um, but I'm sure there's going to be some people who are still a little bit, what is the X? What is the A? So this is the time to ask the questions while we're live. And, um, and also remember that this is interactive 24 hours a day in our discord channel. We actually have a um, assembly of George J discord channel where he is going to post a zip file with the source code that you can look at. I encourage everyone, including myself to actually get the source code into an editor and run it and, 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 and see what it looks like and then play around with it and then start asking some, instead of completely abstract questions, ask some more specific questions. Okay, well I've typed this in and I see it's doing this, but why is it doing it? Or how is it doing it? Or if I wanted to do this, what do I do? That's kind of where I was getting ready to get with you, George, was I wanted to do that demo and then ask you how to do a pause because I wanted to print things in the in the corner. So I wanted to do a dead center, top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right, get all the corners and center kind of painted with text. And then I wanted it to pause. So before we went back to basic, we did that. So you've kind of already answered my question. Um, but remember, this code here is not how you'd normally do anything. But it's trying to be able to just do the basic instructions and put something on a screen or doing doing a poke. You know, we got we can do we'll do print lines and print characters and get lines stuff later on, but trying to get that basic to where everybody understands 
a little bit about routines and subroutines and calculate and use the registers as little as possible. I don't know how far back we can go because we're kind of down at the almost do nothing routines now. So let me ask you this. What would the equivalent be of how would I peak what's on the screen? I would have to somehow increment something to figure out where I am on that 512 byte location from from 1024 decimal. So assuming I know where I am within that 512 byte space, what would the command be? Would I have to I'd have to jump to that address, so 1024 plus whatever, and then load that into A or something just to know what's there? Yes, it's yes. funny because I think that's what we was going to do next week. Okay. All right. I'm getting ahead of myself. No, I, I, briefly, you use the same calculate calculate routine. Okay? Yeah. That's why I put on that one screen. Make sure you understand the calculate routine, what it's doing. Use that routine to go to some row, some column. Yeah. Right? You calculate the same way. Then we get D, you transfer that D to X. Okay. X that's is it. the internal comparator. Right. Well, you, that's the index register. And you is, your address ends up in X, and then you would do a load A or a load B, whatever's in X, and that's what the character's on, on that screen. Okay. Yeah, and so basically you point you point the X index register using the calculations we're showing here <clears throat> to figure out where on the screen you want to peek from, and then you do a load A, comma X, or a load B, comma X, which tells it, you know, get whatever's stored at the memory location that X points to. And then you would have to compare that to know what it is. Whatever's in A is yeah. that. Yeah, like compare A with 65, is it a capital A? For right, right. And so then, because one of the things I wanted to be able to do as well is once I've put some stuff on the screen, I want to be able to like maybe run my own routine to do a, a fast inverse where I'm going to go through and look at what's there and then turn the black on green to green on black and things like that. So, um, you know, once you put some stuff on the screen, then fiddle with it and, you know, change the foreground and background, invert it and all that kind of stuff. So just some little silly things that you yes. would, which you'd be able to appreciate the speed of doing it in assembly versus doing it. Basically, if I had to peek and poke to invert the screen <laughs> in basic, forget it. You know, it's just like, yeah, I'll right, go. Give me, give me three lines here. Okay. That's that calculate routine. Okay. We calculated it. We transferred D to X, the index register. Yeah. We were putting on a screen. We did a load A, that character. Yeah. It's a poke here. The reverse of that would be transfer D to X. Okay, load A. I'll even type it in. Let me see. Comma okay. X. Load A, comma X. That would load it in there. And then here you could do your, your compare or whatever you wanted to do. Okay. That, would, that gets that character what you've had on the screen right there, that load A, comma X, after you did the recalculate. Okay, I don't know. I'm getting ahead of you and getting ahead of myself since I haven't even gone as far as putting it on the screen. So, but I'm just thinking. I'm thinking ahead. Um, All right. Now this is cool. I I dig it. I dig it. I I mean these these past two weeks, what we're literally doing is as like you say, it's pun intended, as basic as we can do it. This is the program in basic. This is what we're doing in basic. This is how we do the the assembly version of these basic things. Um. So uh, no, this this is really. Um, it's as basic as it can be at this point. <laughs> yes, Alan, was that you? Yes. Uh, so really what George is showing you is the core of the Nostromo game port that I've been doing. Yeah. At the very, very bottom of the game, it's drawing a 32 by 16 screen by putting values into the memory buffer. And then I go peek essentially what you were just asking about to find where whether I've caught the character or not with the alien. Yeah. This is exactly that. 
So the, the way that George has approached it is really great in that you start with the calculate routine. Yeah. You have a memory buffer that you have X and Y control over. Okay. And with that, you've got a lot of the core of drawing quite a few of the games that you've seen. And and that's so, kind of where my brain is already starting to go because I, I the Cosmic Aliens, even though it was graphical, I broke it down to basically a 16 by 16 grid. So I still treated the graphic screen as if it was fairly much a text screen. Um, the Kabam is, you know, kind of 32 by 16. And the Kabam SG even broke it down even smaller to where I'm looking at like eight objects times whatever so i'm trying to simplify um the the kind of calculations on screen positions and if you've ever if anybody's even written a program at basic which by the, at this point everyone I've, I've done you know almost a handful so I'm, I'm almost an expert but yeah so you have to because the print at and the pokes are very linear right if you and i'm going to just think and speak in decimal right now but if you're trying to poke something on the top left-hand corner of the, of the screen, you're poking value 1024. Okay, well, what if I want to poke over, you know, to the center, which I, have to, I need to add 14 to that to get to the 15, which is the middle, then it's 1024 plus 14. It's kind of the same thing you're doing here. How do I move over uh, on the column basis? You just continue to add one. You start at zero, it's like zero to 31. You, you increment by one um, to do that. But now what if, what if I want to go down? If I want to go down one line, because the screen is 32 columns, I have to add 32 to that position, right? So yep, for each line, uh, for each line. So these are these are concepts I've had to deal with in my basic programs, and I've tried to come up with ways to like even preload these into lookup tables, where I've created like two-dimensional arrays and loaded in the the value of either the printout location or the poke location into a two-dimensional thing, so I could still kind of Tr uh, still deal with things using XY co coordinates versus the absolute position on the screen, but I have a table I can pull to know where that screen position is. So I've been dealing with this in basic in what I would consider somewhat hopefully clever or efficient ways, but the speed sucks in basic, right? So I'm really looking forward to blasting the hell out of this uh, tech screen in assembly and just doing all kinds of crazy stuff with it. Because I know assembly can handle this 32 by 16 screen with wicked fast speed. So I, I look forward to doing some really fun, fast things on that screen for a while as I learn all this stuff, you know? Okay, remember as I started out this morning, if you look at the bottom down here, review and make sure you understand the calc routine, okay? We're gonna, you can use that a lot for all the stuff we're doing to get stuff to the screen, whether it's basic or assembly language. If you understand the routine, you can get any place, you know, you can write it any way you want. You can pass it parameters, give it a row column, and it just go to this routine, a subroutine that's going to get you exactly where you want to go. Right. So regardless of what it is, basic R assembler language, you got you know, that's how you'll get to it, that routine. So make sure you understand the routine. Okay. I got another, uh, if anybody else got any questions on that, we'll move on to uh, uh, the next screen here which is going to be pretty much the same I'll, I'll go through this one here probably fairly quick well before you go on let's, let's give somebody a chance to answer okay so george just asked does anybody have any questions so those in the panel those watching live do we have any questions for george on what he's showing us right now the whole multiply by you know add and multiply to get to the screen location anyone anyone and hello to madron ariana out there in twitter uh twitch land um 
All right, no further questions, Your Honor. I guess go ahead and proceed, Mr. George. Right. We're going to do something very similar in this next. Uh, here's the basic program. Does this, pretty much the same thing. Why don't we to get a, maybe what we're doing here? Maybe if we just uh, dim dim load it. I'm a, this is the basic program. I already got it loaded in, so you'll see what it does here. Okay, it asks what key do you want to display. I'm going to hit. Uh, let's try the uh, pound key. Okay. Same, same concept, it's just ask what key you want and it will go and it will display Ooh, that. This is like a custom CLS at this point here. You're gonna fill the screen with a specific right. character. Right, now it's sitting there waiting. I'll hit the space bar now. I'll run it again. Okay, key do you wanna play? I'll hit the space bar. And now you're filling it with blanks, okay. Yep. So that's that's it all. Just, it's the same routines that are in the other one. It's just, you know, just as opposed to Rather than kind of uh, force feeding the character, we're allowing it to be an input. So it's yep. a user defined character that's going into the screen versus a code defined one. Yep. Okay. All right. Here, the same thing. Here's the basic program. Uh, what's key do you want? You know, get, get that key. Uh, convert it or here if it's less than 64. That's that uppercase thing yeah. you have a basic number. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll do that, convert it, and here's all of our screen dimensions out there. And here we go right back to the same code we had in the, the outer loop. loop. Right. Outer loop, our inner loop, and down here, we're just poking whatever character they typed in as a put. Remember before we took the J and added 64, 5 to it? Yeah. yeah. And this here, we're just going to give it what it is. Same thing. We're not, okay. inc we're not incrementing it. Okay. Same program almost over here in the assembler side of it. Okay. Uh, we're here. We're here's things that are different. We put a message out. This we, we have so we actually put a message on the board. Okay, or on the screen that says input the character you want. Okay. Then here's our we're gonna do that a dollar sign which is right here. Get your input character and it just sits there and loops until you give it a key. Once you get okay, it, that's once super it, helpful. That is super helpful. Those few lines right there. Yeah. Okay, and here's the basic. If it gets, if it's less than sixty-four, we'll we'll add something. There to you it. go. You've already answered my question. How do we convert upper? Okay, compare yep. a. Yep. Well, if you look at your ASCII table too, you'll be able to figure that out and do that. Yeah. Okay, we're we're going to compare it to that. Okay, if it's greater than or equal, we're going to say it's okay. Go around there. If not, we'll add sixty-four to it to make it uppercase. Either way, we're going to store it back into our, our CH, and from here on is the same as the other program was. That's the whole uh, going through the rows and columns. Yes, the only thing only thing different is, okay, is what we store. We store that, we don't calculate. We're, yeah, we're not going to continually offset that. It's just going to be a constant versus an incremental thing. Exactly, okay. Okay. And now when we say execute over here, oops, I need to click on that. Because I already got it loaded in. Press What's a key, key to play? display. All right, let's, we'll do that pound sign again. There Whoa, look how much faster that was. And I'm sure the way you did it is because you, you, we could take one of our gurus and say, well, I could do that. I could name that code in three lines. And I'm sure somebody else can make it blast on there faster. But you're doing it in a way that's comparing it to our, our, our nested loop within basic, oh, right? Yeah, there's so, a you could streamline that code and make right, it right, and that would, that's like what's what the uh, gurus would call an unrolled loop or something else, right? So there's many ways or to stack blast, stack blast, yeah, no, but um, 
I'm trying to keep it consistent every yes. week. Oh, no, I love it. And keep it easy, easier, easier to understand concepts where it's just very simple. You'll know, make a calculation where it is. The so so how hard would it be to when this is done, it just loops back to itself where they can keep pressing a different key. And every time they press a key, it would um, it would just roll back around. So instead It'd of be one a, jump instruction, instead of it being an RTS at the end, it would just go right back to the. Uh, it wouldn't be very many instructions to get down to instead of returning back to basic. We right. kind of back to the top yeah now as far as you if you want to do your clear screen i said enter again i'll hit the space bar okay boom look at that that's fast that's wicked fast as they say in the new england area um that's cool i love this i freaking love this right i'm going to uh do one one more because i don't want to keep everybody too long get them no on, no I, listen i'm on the edge of my seat literally everybody and, out there uh sleeping Okay, uh, got, wake uh, up, got... losers. <laughs> right. Now, this one here will be a load of men. Character print number five. I got so many of these, I had to give them all. Uh, you want the basic one, I think, this time. I'll run this one here. You'll be able to see the code is almost the exact same code. It's just a little bit different. Okay, what do you want to do? This is which one of them two methods we did before? You want to put a different character or same? I'll press the D key. Okay. Okay. This is the basic program. Okay, yeah. It's the same. I combine them where it asks a couple. It asks you some questions. Okay. And okay. then it goes up and does does what you want to. This is like watching paint roll down the side of a wall at this point. You know what I mean? It's just like watching a, grass grow. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or if we say the same character, then it's going to ask what key do you want to display? Okay. So I do. I can watch this. Going to print H. You don't need to watch all that. We'll do it uh, with the assembler. We'll find out the the different character. Okay. Whoo! Look at that. Who Nelly? And we can do it with same character. We'll say same character, and let's try. Uh, let's just do a, a V. Okay. That's fast. Same, same code. Okay. Just ask some questions. Okay. And here we were we were do, we were putting a line out. We went to basic to put the line on the screen. They're equated up here, and we went to get a character. Okay. Remember we did our equates. But if you look at this code and you look at the basic code or the other ones, it's going to be pretty much the same thing. Here, load up our message, go over to basic and print, print a question. Okay, and here, this is the way you'd be doing this in basic. B dollars in equals something or other. It's looking for the S of the D. Get character, branch equal. If it, nothing happens, it just keeps doing the loop. Sooner or later, somebody's gonna press a key. And we'll store that key, and I call it OP or option. And normally in a similar language, you'd want more descriptive tag names. But you're kind of matching the basic two-character variable limit. You know, we're, yeah, we're kind of dumbing it down, you know, to make it look like basic, okay, as much as we could. So if somebody have a question, you know, you normally have tag tag names that mean something. Now we're going to validate our option, all right? Compare A to a D, all right? If it's equal, we'll go to a routine called diff. Then we'll compare it to an S. For same, it is. We'll go to a routine called same. 
And if not, we're going to go back up and start over again. Okay, we didn't it, it put something else in other than D or S. We'll go back up to start one and come back down until they actually hit a, a D or an S. Okay. Right. If it was that they pumped. That's like it. saying if A strings is not equal. If A strings equals S, then go here. If A strings equals D, go there. If not, go back to A string equals in key string. There you go. Yeah. 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 And if we had one here, one of them was if they put an S, it went down here to a routine called same, right? If they put in same, we're going to put another another message out on the screen. Said, okay, what what character do you want? The A dollars type stuff. We'll branch here again. We'll go off the basics to get the character. All right, here's our other character A. Convert it over to a character. We'll do that uppercase thing we did in the last one, compare it to 64. It's greater or equal, it's okay. If not, right. we'll add it and make it uppercase. And when it's when we're done, we'll go here, here to this character is okay, a routine. Earlier, if we typed in a D for different, we're gonna hit this routine right here with a different one. And that's basically the same code we did back in the very first program. Remember where we had printed A, and we upped it and printed a B, and printed a C all the way down. The rest of the code down here is exactly the same until you get down to here. We got it all as calculated our routine down here. Now we're going to load up B with the option OP. It's either going to have a D or an S in it. Right, we'll compare it to a D. If it's not equal. We'll branch off to do same. If it's equal, we'll load up our A. We'll add our 65 to it and store it in there. Okay. If we if, we'll, if it was not equal, it'd be the same. We'll just load whatever character they typed in or it asked for a character, we'll load it in and then we'll store it in X. So that took of both types, either the S or the Ds, actually put them out there the same way. The other loops in there, exactly. That's why I say you need to understand that calculate routine because it's the same anything mm -hmm. you're going to do. Yeah. If it's basic or if it's assembler. You know, it'd be awesome if there was like a 32 byte register where you could actually take the whole line of a screen and shove that in one place. That would make uh, that would make scrolling a lot uh, easier. Well, <laughs> user stack. Yeah. 6309 six, does. Yeah. yeah. If you got 32 characters, you could do a print line, but then yeah. again, you're you go to basic and basic and printing anything is slow because they do a lots of things when you say print a character and basic it does a lot of things yeah and then down here was here was our messages we were going to display okay? press the key to display same or different yeah yep and same way press the key to display so it's all it's kind of all in this program it just combined them last two programs just to add a little more touch to it as far as getting something asking a question of the operator what do you want to do and once you figured out that it wanted to enter another another command. So I think what you were asking before is kind of in these routines here. And if you want to learn something, type these in and play with these. Yeah, beat on them. And, and there's different things you can do with, you know, in, in your own imagination, okay? Like we printed A through P on the screen. Mm -hmm. So how would you how would you change, print it something else? Right, okay? right. Change this here. Don't add 65, add some other number to it. Right. And just experiment. The only way to learn that, uh, right? And I, and and I think that is. I, I think I've heard people say before too, like people who didn't know how to learn, how to, didn't know how to write in basic. They would take one of the type in programs, take what somebody else wrote, and then to see what they could do to change it and learn by learn by accident almost. You know, trial and error. 
So yep. um, that same that same process and philosophy could apply here. Well, it's like when I first got my first color computer one. I don't know if it was a D board or not. But anyway, it was, it was. I sat down the very first night. I bought it at Radio Shack. I believe it was like six hundred bucks or something like that when I bought it back in eighty one or eighty two. When they first come out, they didn't have a cassette. Uh, they didn't have a cassette recorder. So all I had was a little TV screen, probably a twelve inch screen, and a color computer one. And I sat up for hours writing programs for I equals one to ten print I, you know. And I did that stuff until I learned exactly what ba- I'd never seen Basic before. And I set up doing all kinds of stuff the very first night and couldn't even save anything. I said, "Keep doing." <laughs> I did the same thing. <laughs> that's how you. That's how you learn. You just keep writing silly programs that did almost nothing. Right, right. And the worst. The worst part was writing writing your opus mega lifetime program you've ever written in your life and then having the computer like lock up on your lose power and not having any of it saved oh, oh yeah well yes I, I, and save gonna, and save often and then save again to be redundantly I'm, I'm gonna have to say if you look at a lot of my basic programs down at the bottom usually it's 900 if you're home i'll have a printout and a save command I learned that with that cassette walk. I'd be sitting there typing along and press something and screw it up. So before I do a lot of things, I just run 900 mm. and, it would save, and it would save it for me. So I do that a lot in the bottom of my basic. That's from the old, old, old days, I guess. All right, I, one more, one more example for we're going. This is what we're going to work on. This is what we're going to work on. It also answers your question. What we're going to do next week, or uh, I'm here next week. I'm going to execute this here. Okay, Ooh, you put a semi graphics symbol there. Oh we'll my god, you're moving things. Oh my god, right, and we're not destroying the screen underneath. Yes. I'm using arrow keys. Let's right. uh, do some colors here. Oh my goodness, okay, we're not, we're just using the air up and down. And now, what this, sorcery is this? <laughs> okay, this here will be uh fun to play with once we get this far. So, you really need to make sure you understand that routine. Yes. We'll, we'll oh, this is great. This is great. This and then is great. I hit the. I was pressing one, two, and three. This this only works on a color computer three, by the because way, because of the palette hacks. The palettes, yeah. Yes, but you can't change the backgrounds and stuff like that. I'm going to go back to that uh, that one there, and I'm going to hit Q for quit. Okay. Oops. It wanted to do whatever it wanted to, but that's what we're going to work on next week. And after you get this one uh, next week's, uh, you'll. Get this code and you understand the code. It's got the same calculate routine. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how it goes around. Is it before you just poke something to the screen? You read it off the screen and you save it. Right. So you, with you, the cursor, you can restore it underneath there. You're putting it in a buffer somewhere because you got to put it back. So you're kind of peeking and yeah, poking. You're saving, it, you're, you're, you're saving that character. The next time, the next time you hit a key or another arrow key, loads it back. It's gonna it's gonna put it back in there for you. Right. The um, thing. That we're, once you get this, you play with this one here. Uh, one thing I like you to do, because right now there is isn't, I don't know if that's a good word or not. There's no detection if you run off. You can run off the screen. Oh, you're not. You're not. You didn't set any boundaries, any safe spacing. If it's, if it's put, greater or less any, than this, then then. Right, halt, I didn't yeah. put it in there. I didn't put anything in there for a reason. You get to work on it. Okay. It would, it would just wrap down. Yeah. At some point, that would be off screen. You wouldn't know where the hell you are. Yep, and what because yeah. what we're gonna do is be able to check it by row. Yeah, that's okay. cool. 
You know what? This is like right now you're you, you're giving me like four or five things, and this is pretty similar to what I got on my ukulele right now. I think I know four chords, and yep. I'm just having fun playing those four chords in different patterns. So now with these like four or five little tools here, there's so much stuff we can do between just blasting stuff up on the screen, moving stuff around, peeking and poking. Uh, and once you understand those, and then take it and and do something on your own with it, it's going to be fun. Yeah, as, say, as long as we stay at the same level, use that same calculate routine, which could be sped up and made really streamlined. But as long yeah. as we set on that low level where it looks like the basic program, you understand that. And then you start, you can start playing with the arrow keys or other keys on the keyboard. You know, if it's a T, you could do something else. If it's an R, you could do something else. You can change colors. You can do all sorts right, of stuff. Right, right. Kind of like if A strings equals this, then do that. If A strings exactly. equals that, then do that. Right. So, um, so that's what we want to get next week. I was I was going to talk about this include because that's going to be important. But that week that could wait till next week. This is really cool, George. I can't thank you enough. I guess. Tomorrow's Father's Day, right? So for those of you, uh, even if you're not a father, I, I encourage everybody, and I'm going to try to set the example. I'm going to try to dedicate my Sunday. When I'm not having a steak dinner or whatever I'm going to do, um, I'm going to try to spend my Father's Day uh, curling up with some warm assembly uh, and playing around doing some stuff. This looks cool. I did have one more thing on my list. I won't do that include thing, but I just uh, just straight, okay, our put, put character, like we've been poking it to the screen. Yeah. You could also have do a put character, and this is that uh, basic unraveled that you can get on Color Computer Archive. Yeah, and this is the exact exact code that's in basic in the ROMs. Okay, mm. if you do a put character, here's where it comes to. It comes down here to address A two eight two. You know, if you look at the uh, when you say put character at A zero zero two, this is where it tells you to come. The first thing it does, it goes off. They were they got a, a whole bunch of hooks in basic because they when they could add extended basic, they mm -hmm. could add this basic, et cetera, et cetera. So they have a bunch of hooks in there where they could modify the code, even on a color computer one or two. They actually put it down in low memory that they could modify it. But anyway, it jumps off and does a couple things and comes back to you. It's kind of like a pointer that points to a pointer, right? So you can always repoint where one of the pointers yep. is pointing. Yeah, you can see here the, the address down there is down at low memory down at one address 167. And all it has is another jump routine down there. I looked up, it has another jump routine goes off to, uh, I believe, extended basic or this basic run to and does some checking. But anyway, I want to do this quickly, okay? You just said all you want to do is put something on a character on a screen that it counts, okay? Then it loads up the device number, okay? It does a couple other things. What does it that mean, see, device number? Well, is it a, is it a, is it a screen? Is it a printer? Uh, if you remember, print number sign negative yeah, two, negative two to send yeah. to the printer, or print number sign negative one for cassette, and then one to fifteen are disk buffers. That's what a device number is. Okay. Right, so, it, so it's checking: Are you going to the cassette? Are you going to the printer? Whatever. Okay, branch if not equal, send it to the screen. So it's going to go off someplace. Oh, so it's really trying to check to see if you're printing to everything else but the screen before it prints to the screen. Yeah, well, yes. Okay, I'm, I'm doing that for a reason to show you why things are so slow. Yeah, no shit. It's A38. <laughs> A30. Okay, then it comes down here, put a character on the screen after it did that. It saves some stuff. It's getting the current position on the screen. Okay, and if you look down in the low memory, okay, 
down at 88, you'll see where the current, you know, it's got an address in there where, where it's on the screen. It might be that your, uh, well, hex 400 plus something is where the cursor is. Is it a backspace? No, it, it has to do all these things here. Is it a blank? Is it a carriage return? Okay. It, it goes through all this code. I mean, it just keeps going on and on. It may have to scroll the screen. If you put a character at, at 512, it has to scroll the screen. So it has to go through all these all these different routines. Wow. Okay. The point of it is, is that's why it takes so long to get something to the screen. And remember, everything it, if it has to calculate anything, it does it in floating point as a rule. Wow. Now, there's an error when you look at the, there's always a lot of errors. Somebody interpreted all this code to, to uh, break it apart. And I found out I put some question marks inside the one I saved because I was fiddling with the arrow keys and I wanted to double check. And right there, okay, it says this FCB, okay, or uh, a character, byte length, a 0, 8, and a 15, okay? They're shifted, unshifted, and shifted values. Mm. Backwards. They put the right arrow in there, okay? That should that should be that should be left arrow. Hmm. And this is coming from the unraveled. Yeah, yeah. but this, all it is, is the, the code is correct over here. The the comments are wrong. Ah, yeah. Because I, I looked at this, and I said, wait a minute, I've got something wrong in my code. Then I went ahead and I followed. It, okay, because zero eight is also a backspace. They're but one and the same backspace. Okay. Character string eight, yeah. Yep, they're, they're the so same. The, the left arrow is like the backspace key for all intents and purposes. Yes. Okay. Yep. And a, and a zero nine is a tab key or a right arrow. So this these codes. So, so you got to watch what you do in that code. Because sometimes you get yourself confused, like I did. Yeah. And I was looking at my code to see what I did wrong, and I realized it was here. So I put question marks in it and saved it. Enough said about put character. Just wow. wanted to show you what basic has to go through to do everything. Right. Everything. They go through stuff like that. And we're getting some questions from um, Protein Thread, who's actually new to Discord. We mentioned you're new to Discord this week. So since you're in our Discord, Protein, go under the programming section in, in uh, Discord. You have to scroll down about 16 pages. It'll take you about a half hour to scroll down that far. But once you get under programming, we've got a Discord channel called Assembly with George J. And you can ask some of your questions there and also links to setting up some of the environment is there as far as picking your editor of choice if you want to use notepad plus plus or in this case here is using visual studio code and it was uh, blair ledoux came up with the syntax highlighting uh extension for um, visual studio so you can see the the codes in the different colors for the comments and also you get those kind of pop-ups on there so uh, make sure you check that out um yeah this is really cool and so um and it's like we I've mentioned this before because I have spent a little bit of time in doing other forms of education but you know if, if you want to learn it you, it's you can't be in the uh, in the passenger seat you got to be in the driver's seat and put some hands on this and start to wrap your brain around it and so uh, I, I think these past two weeks in my opinion have been the best two so far because we are breaking it down and we're doing almost a side-by-side -side comparison of this is what basic does this is how we're doing it in assembly when is it going to make sense to me or anybody else is when we actually put it in our editor and we start uh, as george says when we start piddling with it right so you gotta just uh, piddle get out there and go forth and piddle right so um are some key building blocks yes build some key building blocks for a lot of different things later yeah i, I have a couple more things but i know i've kind of done we did everything on this page other than include we'll do that some other time we did our put character that uh one the uh visual studio code i've uh 
had a couple, Blair and I back and forth because I had uh, put out there that it didn't work correctly with his newest versions. And he texted me and I texted him back. It, his works, if you use his explorer inside his program but if you just double click on an assembly language program from no reason at all it brings up visual studio code using version five and, and above it doesn't work correctly as far as the uh, uh showing you the all the key stuff the the, the kind of tooltip pop-ups of the, what the, the, hovering, uh, the, hovering, the hovering the hovering over the instruction yeah right so i i fell back to ver his version four and it works fine. And I uh, sent him an off another text that he said he would check into it. So if you're you get using that there and you're not getting hovering working correctly, just fall back to uh, version four of the uh, of his routines. And it worked once I forgot what I was doing. It, it worked pretty well. And uh, what what you're talking about too is an in Visual Studio Code. If you point to the folder that your source code is is in, then you kind of see a little browser in the left hand column of the editor. And then if you click on a file there, that seems to work better than trying to directly open the file through like File Open. So you kind of use the browser built into the editor to browse the folder and then click on the source code file. Yes, um, and it works just fine. The yeah. problem is is I have so many different routines over in other- And other folders, you don't have a, yeah. I've got stuff for pop-up menus. I got stuff for swapping uh, pages in and out. I got the school stuff here, the class stuff here. I got, and I want to use something in another folder. It's very cumbersome to keep changing folders inside of uh, Visual Studio. So yeah. I just, I go over and I click on this one here. But anyway, I just, just do a heads up on that. All right. Well, I'm going to try to devote some Father's Day time tomorrow to doing my own piddling in assembly. So that's my that's my that's my plan. Um, Got a question? Yes, Brian, the music man. How much uh, relevance will this uh, work underneath OS nine? What's the question? I couldn't hear the, you, Brian. How much? How relevant is this to to uh, OS nine? And I think I know a short answer to that, right? Because the screen positions are mapped in memory different for VDG stuff. Um, like right now, we're writing directly to, to RAM, right? We're writing to the default yeah. location of the VDG yeah. start screen. No, it's OS 9. It depends on how you want to do it. Because you can do direct screen writes like this, where it's fairly similar. Or you can go through the actual API calls, which are kind of like going through basic routines, except they're a little bit more optimized. Um, and also are redirectable, so you can, you know, use the exact same code and you can tell the shell to put it, I want it on a printer, I want it to a file, I want it to a modem or whatever else. You can just redirect with a greater than sign if you use the official calls. So there's a couple of different ways to do that. And actually, I'm, Stevie and I have been talking about uh, about me doing an, an OS 9 assembler tutorial similar to this and also maybe doing a base benign one as well. Um, so we're kind of, you know, we've got that kind of in the works. I don't want to overlap, you know, George's stuff and distract from his series. So. We'll figure out something, but yeah, I will eventually uh, do a series that will kind of explain the differences and, and you know the different methods of doing it. And jump on Discord if you have more questions, or we can we can get more in depth. Where we're not going to make this a, a super technical Q and A while we're live on the air, but you feel free to ask questions and all that kind of stuff in Discord. Um, I would like to point out the incentive this is for learning your hex because everything's a round number in hex. The screen starts at four zero zero. Line width is two zero, A's at four zero, uppercase is, or lowercase is four zero above that. So if you think in hex, everything comes out evenly. 
Okay. Well, I've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ultimately, and I, I do appreciate the fact that you are right now using decimal examples. So you're using 1024 and 65 for your A's and stuff. And that's good for the for the people who are used to thinking in basic and thinking decimal. But yeah, so the goal, if you want to become a, uh, you know, more fluent assembly uh, aficionado is you're going to have to start learning um, hex because that's, that is the language of the CPU, right? So. Yeah, and this is a nice graduate to do it where you can go with decimal, yeah. which you're familiar with, and then you can kind of transition over. We'll as baby step our way into it, yeah. Anybody else? Well, I want to say thank you. George, for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, we got a thank you from Grant. Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, Blue Dial. So thanks so much for this series of assembly descriptions. I never understood it, and it's coming together with your help. There you go. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yes, thank you, George. These are great. Hey, uh, I'm not I'm not 100% sure about next week. I may have I may have another commitment. On okay. Well, we also have another guest too, so we don't have to overload the show. We can keep keep the audience wanting more, right? But but at least you see what we got next week. We, we know we know what the next project's going to be next week or the week after. Right. Arrow keys. I'm looking forward to that. The non-destructive moving of a character on the screen. Well, you need to do your homework too. I will. I will, I will <laughs> teacher. I will. Bring uh, an apple. To the I was going to say I was going to bring you an apple too. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. I never, uh, I never it. Is that Apple one or two? <laughs> Apple, one. Apple one, one is very rare. Uh, <laughs> all right. That was awesome. Okay. So just a heads up to everybody on the panel right now. Um, you guys are at the whims of my hunger pains. Um, so we are at this point now, we are looking at, we are, how long are we, we're in like three and a half, when do we start? One o'clock, two and a half hours, whatever it is. It feels like it feels like an eternity. Anyways, I'm going to, I'm starting to get hungry. So I, I can't see us going another two hours. Let's put it that way. So with that in mind, we're going to take a commercial break briefly because Curtis needs to make sure his puberty sets in and his voice is clear and all that kind of good stuff. We're going to take a commercial break. We've got game on news. We've got snoozy newsy and then possibly project updates and acquisitions. If Brian Weasler even just gives us a high level overview of some of his acquisitions, that could be a nine hour show right there. But we want to make sure we get to everybody. But I also would like to is it's it's coming up on three thirty. I'd like to be done before five or five at the latest, uh, if not sooner, just because I'm getting hungry. There's, there's uh, not a ton of news this week, so okay. that will go by quicker than normal. So yeah, and I'm, I apologize, but you know what? I, I get hungry. Uh, <laughs> did everybody get to? Did everybody get to see my shirt? Okay, hold on. Let, let me let me uh, spotlight you, and make that bigger, because you were muted before. Okay, there are two types Goody. of people in this world: those who understand binary and those who do not. Right. So that's a binary number right there. Right. So uh, got it. that's it. If you read that in Desmo, it says 10. If you read that in binary, it says 2. All right, so one up. there you go. Excellent. A little binary humor for you on the show here. Um, it says 16 if you're reading that in hex. That's right. <laughs> okay, so commercial break. Let's find a commercial. Let us go forth and commercialize here. Let's see. I want to play a commercial that we haven't played in a while. Hmm... <laughs> you know what? I have it. And it's going to... Okay, that's it. We're going to run a commercial. We'll be back. And uh, in Hex, that would be 8, actually, is what uh, Tim Franklin is saying. Because uh, F is... A, F is... Well, one, one, zero F is 15. Is, one, one, zero would be 16. 16. 
I don't know, dude. I don't know. You guys are making me try to think in hex. That's 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 a scary <laughs> thought. All right, commercial break. We'll be back after these words. Here's a hi-fi bargain from your nearby Radio Shack store. Save $100 on our exclusive realistic 77 AM-FM stereo receiver. Only $159.95 during the sale. With audio component features like FM muting, push-button tape monitor, main remote speaker switching, in a genuine walnut veneer case. The ideal control center for your new music system. The sale-priced realistic 77 receiver. Only at Radio Shack. A Tandy company. Tired of your color computer art input device being low res? Joey has you covered again. Switch between three joysticks or mice. Select the left or right port on your Coco. No more swapping joystick ports. Switch between standard and high resolution mode. Supports the Tandy and the Max high resolution mode. Pre-order yours today at cocoman.biz. The music is back. The Mini Maestro available now. Only from Retro Innovations. Go the number four retro.com. Watcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. That's great, JT. I need it tonight. Oh, JT. Fletcher Lack saved over 300 clams, you dig? When she got her a Model 100 from Radio Shack, like a good little consumer. It's like... A word processor, a phone directory and dialer. You dig, man? It even, like, you know, can groove with your office computer. Fletcher? Fletcher. You'll go far, Fletcher. You'll go far. ESP 8266-01 RS-232 TTL Wi-Fi Network 4-pin DIN Fitbanger DB9 PC IP DriveWire 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 Oh, I'm much happier breaking stuff. Hello, I am the speech and sound app, and you are listening to Cocoa Talk. All right, speech of sound pack. Don't get to hear from him too often. Far out, man. Well, L. Curtis Boyle, you got news. You're muted, L. Curtis. I will do game on news first. No pressure, Curtis. Yeah, you guys seen that? We see it. Zaxxon. Hey, that's coming later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this guy? I don't know, but I believe he's on the panel, isn't mm. he? Holy cow, what a damn handsome man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't forget modest. Yeah. yeah. That lack of hair. <clears throat> <laughs> so the latest Coco show dropped this past week, and this was kind of a, a different one because you guys actually had to record it at an off time so you didn't do it live, so I, I couldn't you know do my witty commenting during the show. Yeah, we missed that. 
<laughs> so this week you covered Polaris, and I, I loved your intro on this, so I'm just going to play that, and then we'll cut it off and let you talk about it a bit. But... Polaris, it's stars in the sky. No, it's not. It's missiles. Oh, my gosh. It's the Coco Show 21. So anyway, I just like that intro. So Polaris, of course, is the uh, Missile Command clone that was put out by Tandy Radishak as a cartridge. I'm pretty sure it was done by Robert Arnstein, the same guy that did Project Nebula and you know a bunch of other games for the Coco that he didn't usually credit himself with uh, for some reason. Uh, he was behind device-oriented games. Um, so anyway, I'll let uh, both kind of just give you kind of a preview of what that particular episode's about, and then we'll talk about the uh, live taping tomorrow. Yeah, so Polaris is, uh, you know, I don't know how many home versions of Mystical Man you guys have played on various platforms, but uh, Polaris, shockingly, is the only one that I've ever played that actually gives you full control of the three different silos. You know, well, they're submarines in this version, but the, the silos in the original games. Yeah. Look at the graphics um, so, on the Polaris there. It's really <laughs> impressive. Yeah, this, is, this is very different than the game. Um, but the, Ed Walker um, broke again. God damn. The, uh, but I, I really liked, I was shocked at how good this was because you're basically, you know, you've got your, your Black Beauty or I was using a deluxe joystick. You've got that in one hand and on the other hand, you've got your three keys. I think it, it might be uh, comma, period, question mark or whatever uh, to, to get uh, to launch the missiles out of your three subs. So it really makes you feel uh like you're playing the arcade version of course nothing can beat the original you know trackball in the arcade version but having that analog stick this is one of those games that you really need to play with the analog stick to get the full experience um i, I really like this one i thought i thought it was a winner yeah i'd have to agree with that yeah probably... and it actually works pretty well with the trackball too if you actually have like a white color yeah um Really good early Coco game, you know, pretty much spot on clone of the arcade. And it did a really good job of taking the two screens that had four kind of fixed colors, but taking those two choices of four colors and then kind of alternating the application of those colors to um, make a game on the color computer look as colorful as it possibly could be. It really mimicked what, you know, you could do on an Atari with palettes and things like that uh, pretty well. So yeah. um, one of the best use of the limited four-color screen modes that Coco had with, with diversity, you know. Um, yeah, and it actually cycles through all eight colors that the Coco can do. Too, yeah. So. One of the things that I really liked about this, too, is that they, they definitely let you play a couple rounds before the difficulty starts ramping up. If you're familiar with the arcade version, it's pretty much you're, you're pulling your hair out from, from the second or third stage. In this game, you is can play happened? five oh, or sorry, six yeah. levels and, and still feel like you've got a handle on things, and then they, gra <laughs> they gradually ramp it up. But it does give you a sense of accomplishment, so I appreciate that, too. Yeah, I like the sound effects, too. Like the, it's like, It almost feels like it's ripping through the sky as the, your uh, laser beam is going out, and then the boom the kind of sonic yeah the explosion sound effects were very very cool yeah yeah good use of yeah. audio too and, and and i mean the the feel of the arcade game because you had to strategize what silo you're firing from because it, it travels at a certain speed so if you're firing from the far right of the screen to take care of a missile on the left it's going to take a while to get there so you have to really shoot ahead and plus you if you're on later levels it's going fast you won't even make it in time and that's something that a lot of the other home ports that only had this big center one, like you know, the Atari 2600 version and a bunch of others did, they didn't have that. You didn't have that strategy of having to shoot from what's the closest base to where this missile is coming. And that that makes a huge difference to the actual gameplay and the feel, and it definitely felt more 
like the arcade games. And the smart bombs are actually smart in this too. They do try to avoid and stay out of your um, kind of explosion. Yeah, crowd. and they start fairly dumb, and they get smarter and smarter until you know they're almost impossible unless you like you know, completely surround them with missiles and shoot them dead center when you're on when you've wrapped it a few times. Yeah, the color sets it's it gets really difficult. It does not have the the planes and stuff flying across. That's one thing from the arcade it is missing. Hmm. But it was a 4K cartridge. Right. So, I mean, it's... And what's the other version of this that Ron Delvo really likes where it's very similar? A defense. Defense, defense right. I don't but think that's more of the Atari 2600 version. Defense so. didn't have the planes either, I don't think, right? No, no, no. no. But it, it was a simplified version where you didn't have to worry about the multiple. Yeah, it was um, one button. Yeah. Yeah, it was basically yeah, the clone of the 2600 version stuff. Right, right. But it, it, it had a similar kind of audiovisual appeal where the sound effects were still pretty good and stuff. It didn't mix up the colors quite as much, but um, the sounds were on par with Polaris, I felt. Yeah. So it's a really good review. They go through the game in extensive detail and they have their usual witty banter at the beginning. Um, now, I did want to mention one thing here. The uh, the end of the show, uh, you guys were trying to decide what to do for the next episode. Of course, these are pre-recorded well in advance. And Aaron had suggested Pit Stop 2. And then by the time you got to officially announcing on your Discord what the next show was, you'd forgotten that. And uh, so it got changed. Yeah. So, uh, you know, <laughs> ideally what we try and do is Aaron will pick a game, then I'll pick a game. And so uh, I didn't have a game ready. And so he just threw Pit Stop 2 out there. But, of course, we taped this, you know, in the middle of last month. So by the time that we're getting ready to tape this next one, uh, I'd forgotten. And so, but we're not going to do Pit Stop 2. We'll do that next month. Uh, the show we're going to record tomorrow will be Tandy Color Baseball in honor of the summer season, baseball season in full effect here in the United States and Canada. So uh, tune in. Uh, we're going to start taping around two o'clock. We'll probably get, we're going to do our uh, ZX Spectrum podcast first right out of the gate. Uh, but we'll probably get to the Coco show around three o'clock or so. So uh, if you want to stop by twitch.tv slash Amigos Retro Gaming, or you can just, I think that you guys on Coco Talk, I think you guys host us. So you mm -hmm. can just tune in through that too. Now, yep. when you guys tape, what are you taping on? Is it VHS, Betamax? Are you doing something else? Isn't it, isn't it funny how we still use that verbiage? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, you know, Xeroxing stuff, you know. Yeah, it's actually yeah, photocopying, yeah. technically. Ditto. But you guys um, have a whole whack load of stuff tomorrow. You've got ARG yeah, in the morning. Tomorrow is, is going to be a real marathon of a day. We're going to do our ZX Spectrum podcast, Arson Clear. Uh, we're going to do our Atari 8-bit show, which we call 1200XL. Then the Coco show. Uh, and then we do a once we do a monthly Discord Q and A where people ask us questions. Uh, they leave it in a, in a Discord channel, and then we we basically record ourselves answering the questions uh, called "Ask the Amigos." So we'll be doing that too. So uh, if you, if you got no plans tomorrow, you can just leave us on and putter about the house while you're doing chores, and and we'll we'll provide you with some background noise. And don't forget to also piddle in some assembly too while you're at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Ask Me Anything is actually kind of cool, too, because when, when you guys first announced you were doing that type thing, I thought it was just going to be like, you know, retro gaming questions. But actually, it's literally ask you absolutely anything. Thank you. Yeah, yes. people come up with some wacky stuff, I can you. tell you that. So, Yeah, it's always entertaining. Yeah. Thanks, Curtis. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just mention, too, because you guys have actually specified, because some of our people here are also cross-platform retro. So your Spectrum show, I think you're doing Heavy on the Magic? That's right. Heavy on the Magic. It's a really weird a graphical text adventure game that is uh, somewhat influenced by the occultist Alistair Crowley. Um, and then 1200XL, we're going to be playing um, Drop, Drop Zone, Zone, which is a, uh, it's, it's sort of like Defender for normal people. 
<laughs> it's not nearly as what do, you, what do you mean by normal people yeah people that aren't super whiz kids at the controls it's a little bit it's a it's a dialed back sort of um broader version of defender that adds some extra elements there's there's a little bit more to do in the game i, I really like drop zone uh, i'm actually kind of surprised that there wasn't uh, a coco at least a clone version of drop zone um because it appeared on so many different platforms there might be, I mean, because when Stevie and I went through Defender clones way, way back, even before Coco Talk started, I think we found what, about nine or ten at that time. We found a few other versions since. Okay, okay. <clears throat> so we might have to go through. I'll have to watch. I don't know what Drop Zone is like. I've never played that on the Atari, so I'll have to watch and see if it's something that we do have a clone of. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, the guy from Jetpack, the ZX Spectrum or C64 game. Imagine you're controlling him instead of the defender ship. And in addition to just, you know, blowing up the aliens and saving the people, you actually have to pick the people up and drop them in the quote-unquote drop zone oh, so they can be rescued. So That kind of reminds me of Protectors 2 then, which is another one by Synapse that was on the Atari and the C64 where you had to rescue the people from the volcano. Oh, okay. Was I'll approaching their city and then you had a drop zone to put them after the second volcano erupts and stuff. It's pretty one too so cool well, i'll oh, definitely catch some of that tomorrow yeah. <clears throat> okay and then the, this there is just the link for your general page just started out of playing as soon as i can that's awesome <clears throat> anyway that's the uh <clears throat> well my copy's not working um so that's the uh the general link for your your general shows on twitch you also have a secondary channel for the regulars i think which is more yeah live, yeah modern. arg presents if you want to see us play modern games and and work a little bit more blue so yeah and we actually got a few people like uh, paco uh david ladd actually uh, regularly joined you guys for some of those games too yeah so. yeah okay next up we've got an mc10 game uh, from Jim Gary called Frogs. Now this is a, a port, but it's an old port. So the original one is by Mac Oglesby and was written in December of 1974, which predates the micro market basically, um, except for maybe like the Nell Terror or something like that. From the People's Computer Company, volume five, number three from November, December 76 is when it was published. And uh, he describes it a reversing game with two sets of pieces and it's called Frogs. I don't know this game at all. I, I, when I first saw the title, I figured, oh, a Frogger clone, and then I saw the date, and oh, I guess not a Frogger clone. So, um, And unfortunately, he didn't put, actually put the instructions. He has it built into the program, but he didn't show it on the video, so I don't really know. Has anybody else here played this and, and knows what's going on? Are we trying to, like, guess match things? I don't know what the hell's going on here. I got a headache, though. Um... <laughs> You're flipping column positions between values to try to get them all the same. So what are the two numbers then? Is are you swip, swip, swap, flipping two of them or what? What is that number yeah. you punching in? So, so seventy five means flip seven and five. Something like that, yeah. Okay. I have to go get that book out and actually read it again. Oh, okay. So you've actually played this before, or at least seen it. Yeah, I like all the people computer company stuff. It's a very odd publication that led to the very popular, you know, hundred in one basic games book that everybody had this is oh, where okay. all those originally came from was people computer company and they were printed like on you know uh, really really cheap newsprint type paper with all these very odd drawings just everywhere layout was done apparently while heavily medicated on a variety of substances <laughs> <laughs> This is so, very confusing. I don't know what the heck they're is going they're on. Trying, they're trying to move the things around to... They're typing in the two numbers that switch the, the characters around. 
So eight and nine will swap. See the diamond in the space. Took yeah, I know, but I don't know what the goal is. I'm not sure what we're trying no, to do. I don't do know here. what the goal is. I don't know what they're trying to make it line up to. Yeah. So when you run it, hit enter and read the instructions. Okay. <laughs> there you go. All right. Anyway, so that's the latest there. Now, the next uh, two here, uh, Cuthbert Dragon, of course, who does the dragon plays on his uh, real dragon with his uh, almost shuttered but not entirely shuttered window behind him, which is what that yeah. white bar in the middle is. Wasn't somebody responsible for getting this guy a curtain, a blackout curtain? Yeah, right? we're trying to get him okay. one here. but uh, Need to get that so, GoFundMe Go going for that. This this first one, we've shown it before, but I think we did High Retro Game Lords version. Now, he didn't really know what he was doing on it, so he didn't get too far. Um, Cuthbert actually does know how to play it, and he actually gets through it. So this is where I've discovered this game is actually a cross of two arcade games combined. So if you remember the original Karate Champ, yeah. which uh, the DICOM did at the Karate version for the Coco, where you have the two head-to-head -head combatants. And then if you remember uh, Kung Fu Master, where you're going side-scrolling, and then you have to like kick knives and stuff, and you have to go up and down stairs and you know go between the levels and rescue the girl. So it's a kind of combination of those two things here. So I'll play a little bit here, so I'll skip ahead. So this part you probably recognize, right, and it's, it's got the side little, by you know, side. Yeah, this is the one the, where uh, the uh, the background music made the game far too choppy. Oh, 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 that's cool. Fight! I like the referee in the middle there. Yeah, because they're attempting to do the multi-voice music at the same time they were. Yeah, very choppy. But if you go ahead a little bit here, it's with the bar, it looks like they're doing limbo. Yeah. Now you get to try your try luck in the quarter of death. Quarter of death. Oh yeah. It's ambitious with the yeah. background music, but uh, jump. All right, if and you this just... one, it, it does. It's a little choppy, but it's not too bad. So as I mean, long as you kick it once, you're okay, because it still looks like it's going through them. You have beaten the opponent. Now try another. You're beating this opponent, okay. Yeah. That comes wraps back, but the guy gets tougher and you have yeah. to knock him out a couple times, etc. Like the but it's kind of a, an interesting hybrid of the two arcade games merged into one, so you got your money's worth on this one. Absolutely. And the second one here, I actually was asking Sixy about it because I know nothing about this game called Tanglewood. I suspected maybe it was Australian because it looks like you start with a kangaroo named Bruce. Huh which you can see in the upper left corner, but he actually says it's a wild bit. I'll, I'll just read what Karen sent me basically in a private message here because I had no history in this well, game. Well, it's not all. private anymore now, is it? Yeah, it's going to be public, <laughs> baby. Okay, so let me see. Um, Tanglewood, your first character is a wallaby. Looks like a kangaroo to me, but okay. Uh, but you don't transform or anything. You can just swap between four, later five different characters to do different tasks. So those... Different characters that are shown on the left, I believe, are the ones you can switch between depending on what part of the game you're in. Um, and apparently there was a later port of this to the Amiga and the Atari ST, but they rejigged the premise so you were mining robots on the moon or some such. Um, possibly because this game was a bit too close to another game called Will of the Wisp, which I'm also not familiar with. I don't, both of you encounter that in your Amiga? I've not heard of Will of the Wisp, no. Okay. Um, and he a, said... space game cell. <laughs> and uh, he also mentioned that Will of the Wisp was also a TV show mm. uh, cartoon uh, I'm assuming in Britain and um, he also said sorry I, I really like Tanglewood though I've never completed it so I, apparently there's an end to it too it's not a you know, forever game uh, for your information Shark uh, which is the guy in the top middle there is the evil property developer that wants to bulldoze the woods 
and the owl gives you clues. So this this is a mashup of genres, uh, not just you know like uh, the two karate games. It's 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 a mixture of a bit of a text adventure game. It's a bit of an Ultima style wander the map game, but it's also got some like scrolling platformer stuff to it. So it's like a huge hodgepodge of stuff here. I don't really know how to describe it. I'm, Sixty can probably explain a heck of a lot better than I am. So this is the outside map part. Oh, wow. And you can see you're wandering around. Yeah. Roads and everything else. But you can see there's text scrolling on the top there. Yeah. And you also type in commands there, too. So you can actually type in, like, you know, words to do certain features. And here, now, now you you're in one... platformer. Yeah. Yeah, now you have to wander down these ladders and avoid things. And I'd, like I said, Sixty can probably explain a lot better than I can. By the way, wallabies look like kangaroos, but they're shorter. They're only like three or four feet tall versus five, six feet tall. I guess, yeah, I, I would get relative to the other shapes there, but uh, I just immediately thought kangaroos. Oh, no, that's why I thought it was Now he's a... back out in the world map. So every now and then, you're as you go through the world map, you now go, he switched you go characters too. He's no longer a wallaby. Oh. No, this is. Uh... I was flown. <clears throat> So I'll just fast forward a little bit till it gets to one of the other parts of the game here. Yeah, this is interesting. And here you typed in the word enter. I don't get you because I didn't understand your command, but it actually does have the text command. Oh, here guys, got it's, it's kind of the opposite of your normal graphics adventure where the graphics are on top and the text is on the bottom. This has got uh, text up up top. No, that's neat. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. And Karen's in the live chat and I was saying basically there's an overworld and some other sections, some of which are platformy, some are text adventure -y. Towards the end, there's also some 3D adventuring. Wow. Okay, I didn't see that on this video demo. So, Karen, you might have to make us a video demo. Anyway, it's a, it's a really interesting game. It's, a, it's an interesting mixture of different genres of, of games that I've not seen mixed together before. A text adventure with an Ultima style plus a platform. I've never seen all that in one game. Yeah. That's neat. On any platform that I can it think seems of. Seems to work though. Yeah. And the palette's pretty good. I mean it's doing outside so green for grass, yellow for roads, blue for water, you know, red for bricks, etc. So yeah. it's it, it uses the palette well. It's like Mario where you wander around on the island and then you duck in somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one I'm definitely going to want to try at some point because I, I've not seen anything like it. Um, and he said it is from the UK. It's not an Australian one, I, at least from what I understand. So I know I'd asked Nick about it before because when I thought, saw what I thought was a kangaroo here, I was asked, this has got to be an Australian game. So you know what this is, right? And he goes, no, nah, I've never seen it before either. So. you never seen a kangaroo before, Nick? I have. I haven't <laughs> seen this kangaroo before. <laughs> and a wallaby does look very much like a kangaroo. Crikey. Only a, a miniature version. Uh, yep. Yeah. And then Karen says at nighttime, the frog can go on the roads and various other little interesting bits. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it looks complicated, but it looks like it's potentially quite a fun game. Very unique, at very least. Uh, next up, we have Richard Kelly on the Facebook Coca Group, who is highlighting another Coca One Two game from T and D Software Magazine, which is the old cassette-based magazine that actually ran for quite a few years. And this is from near the tail end of it, and it's a Coca One and Two game called Maisie. So, include some uh, screenshots uh, in the comments, which I'll show you in a second here. Um, and I think it's an original game. I don't think it's a clone of anything. And he kind of describes here your goal is to uh, gather four machines overcoming technical hurdles called moths. 
Um, it's a constantly changing maze. I don't know if he means it changes on the fly while you're in it, or if it's you wander between screens of the maze. Uh, enemies popping out everywhere. So the text screen intro is kind of boring, and here's level one, a little bit more exciting. So this is what the Ooh, actual game graphic-y. kind of looks like there. And I'm assuming the red's your ships here, and you're going through and probably eating the dots similar to a Pac-Man-style game. Uh, but with a much more complicated maze, and there's different levels with different walls, etc. Uh, he said the monster spawn in this particular level is actually in the center, so trying to get these little middle ones cleared out when they can just come out and get you is, is pretty difficult. Or brutal, as he put it. So it's a game I've not tried, and I haven't had a chance to try it since he's posted the link here. Um, but if anybody else here has tried it, if you want to make a comment, uh, if we haven't, then maybe somebody can try it for next week and kind of give us some feedback. Cool. And then the last one here, um, Retro Mantra is the title of the YouTube channel. They did a comparison version of the various versions of Zaxxon for the home computer and including the arcade game. Now, one thing they did a little bit different here that I've not seen too many of these comparison videos do is they actually have the Dragon version separate from the Coco version. So the Coco version is using the artifact colors we're all used to. The Dragon version is actually using the P-Mode 3 palette wow. as it would have been played. So get prepared for that. So here's, you know, of course, the original arcade version here. Right. It's quite familiar. Here's like the ColecoVision version ColecoVision here. Version, yeah. Not bad. The Intellivision version, which is, you know... All oh, right, like, that's really good. Yeah, like it's... Uh, <laughs> You also you wouldn't know it's not the arcade game, right? Just give you an idea. But it does. It is 3D. It's just not isometric. Yeah. And it has a shadow, so that's good. And you can tell the Atari 2600 version is kind of based on the same thing. Yeah. And then here's the uh, TRS-80 Model 1 and 3. Which is actually surprisingly good. With the shadow. Yeah, they they tried their best given the, the limited res here. Nick, Nick, uh, you you had a Model One Three back in the day, yep. or Model One back in the day. What was your opinion of this one? Oh, I didn't really like it because it looked very yeah coarse. It's well done, but yeah, I think it was pretty. You think um, you're trying to push the envelope a little bit. I too think much? they were going too far. Yeah. But I do have to say the space scenes actually look pretty good on it. And um, oh yeah, yeah. Surprise for such low resolution, you know, this is like our Coco SG4 screen, you know. Um, for such a low resolution, it, they're doing surprisingly well. Yeah, yeah. And, I think you can get used to it if you played it for a while. It's not yeah. something I would jump to right off the bat. But... And then here's the Dragon version, given the color set that uh, they have. It's not completely terrible. <laughs> I thought they were going to use the green background one, which would have been... Uh, James Garan must have, uh, you know, yeah, right. asked for, requested that from Steve or something. It's more like the original uh, pastels. Flying in the the white darkness of space. <laughs> and of course, the Coco version with artifact colors, which is what it was designed for. So yeah, it's a lot better. Better. <clears throat> the Apple II one, which is actually a surprisingly good one. Sound effects aren't that good. Let me turn it up. Yeah, Apple II is surprisingly good. Sound. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> but they actually had the like because this one I believe required 48k. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. But it actually had the extra sprites yeah. for like a ship rotating and tilting, which the Coco version, which yeah. I limited to 32k, didn't have enough room for with page flipping. Yeah, most people max their system out 48k because they want to run DOS and stuff. So 
And here's one Bodil will be familiar with, I'm presuming. What is this? It's a lot faster, you'll notice. Atari. Yeah, the, the Zaxxon on the Atari 8-bit was sort of a, it was one of those killer apps in terms of the speed that it moved at. Yeah, they did a good job in this one. It's it's nice and quick. Of course, here now you get to see an, another ugly palette, the IBM PC with CGA. Oh, wow. The sound is amazing. <laughs> one bit sound again. I think Apple did a better job with the sound than the PC. Yeah, this has got awful. <laughs> and one so of the few palettes that rivals ours for being the worst. Right. And then the MSX version, oh, which nice. is character tile based. You'll see it jumps quite a bit between yeah. frames. Yeah. Not sprites. But colorful fast. wise and design wise, it actually yeah. looks pretty good. And it's got uh, refreshing background music, which the original yep. didn't even have. <laughs> nope. That okay. was just a kind of a droning. Yeah. <sighs> now, this this is a system went off the, the SG-1000. I'm not sure what that is. The SG-1000 uh -huh. was Sega's first uh, console. Yeah. Oh, that was even before the Master System? Yeah, it was before the Master yeah. System. And Sega's the one who made this game, so Sega right. is the property owner here. Here's one for you, Boat, uh, the ZX Sega's Spectrum version. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, it's it's not it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's... it's... <laughs> It's bad. As, not, as, not so bad. As far as bad things I've seen, this isn't the worst. <laughs> it's colorful. You yes. can always say yeah, that colorful. about Spectrum I games. That. Yes. I don't know what the big N's or Z's, depending on what angle you're using that at, what those are. Oh, missile launchers, I guess. Fisher Price does Zaxxon. Fisher Price. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Here's a C64 version by Synapse. Not bad. Yeah, yeah the, the, the raising of the ship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, the C64 had two versions, apparently. Here's the Sega US Gold version, which actually looks better. Oh, interesting. Someone, it's like the the graphics are closer to the arcade stuff. stuff. Now, I haven't done too much research on that in Boat. I know you guys have kind of talked about Zaxxon on occasion. Do you know why there was two versions for the C64, two official versions from two, two totally different companies? I, I, I really have no idea. Uh, okay. My only my only guess would be that there was a licensing agreement that expired, and then another company snapped it up. That's the only thing I can think of. And decided to rewrite it so right. it was better. Okay, that uh, looks good. And Wide World of Retro says C64 rules. It was a licensing issue. That's why. Okay. Oh, and Karen's bringing up Zax's son on the dragon, <laughs> which he's, we were actually more complimentary on that one than he was expecting. Um, so yeah, yeah, we did Zach's cover that one, which is a, one I had which seen wasn't it wasn't bad, honestly. I thought it, it was, was better than that. Zach Sund, which yeah, is the Zach second Sund, one. Yes. <clears throat> that one, the perspective, the least, angle was wrong. But and... the difference here is he's covering official ports versus clones, right? So yes. we did have an yep. official Zach Sund for the Coco and the Dragon. Cool stuff. I like these. <clears throat> so that's the end of the game on news. So I'll stop sharing. All right, let's just keep it rolling, the, uh, and we'll go into news news. Yeah. Snoozy, newsy. Roll up no, just keep, let's just keep it rolling because I'm getting hungry. Here we go. Okay, so let me switch back to sharing. No, just, uh, you can continue your nap there, Mikey. It's snoozy, newsy time. Glenn Hewlett. Yes. Now, Glenn Hewlett, of course, is famous for doing the Pac-Man transcode. He's been working on the uh, Defender transcode, which he demoed at the Fest a few years back. He's also working on a Joust transcode. You're noticing a pattern here. That's because there is one. Williams stuff based on six. Williams six eight oh nine based games yeah. basically. Because we're working on transcoding the COVID three. 
So in this case here, he did something a little bit different. Um, now, most of the time, if you want to do smooth animation of sprites, et cetera, on the Coco, you would do page flipping because it's the easiest way to do it. You basically, you render a scene on one screen, you display that screen to the viewer. In the meantime, you're on a second screen drawing everything, which, you know, might be masking stuff in and out. You'd see the flicker and everything else. Waits till the entire screen is done. Then you just change the pointer to say, okay, go display that screen for the user and I'll start redrawing the first one. You just back flip back and forth. So the, the person playing the game only ever sees the fully finished drawn screen. So there's not a bunch of crap being drawn live while you're doing it. Now you'll be able to tell in some of the older Coco games that were a bit more memory restricted, like a lot of 16 game games didn't have enough room to do that. So you'd see some flicker because they're literally redrawing it on the screen while you're looking at it. So this was a common problem on some of the older systems and the Atari 2600 was famous for only having enough RAM to do one scan line at a time. So what they did is to eliminate flicker and stuff was that they would time when they're drawing based on where the scan line on the actual CRT tube was. So you'd wait till the scan line goes past, you know, with the part you want to draw, then you draw it because then it'll get refreshed at 60th of a second later when the raster beam comes back up and starts redrawing that so you could eliminate the flicker. So what he did here is he actually wrote a little demo for the Coco 3, but basically he's doing the same thing. He's doing animation of sprites moving around with background music tied into the FIRQ on the Coco 3 uh, with a moving star field uh, working at the exact same time, but he's not using page flipping at all. This is all one live screen and he's timing everything basically in chunks. He kind of explains in here. I think he did in four chunks. He divides the screen to four sections. And then if you're drawing sprites or anything else, you draw it on the part that just went or it's just before where the scan line is basically you do that chunk. So it eliminates the flicker. So this is kind of his article writing up exactly what he's doing and explaining how it works. And, you know, the fact that it was used by the Ataris and others too. Um, and he's also got, uh, if you want to take a look at it, there's actually the source code for it here and a downloadable bin file for it here on his uh, GitHub site. So the link will be posted there, but here's the actual demo itself. I'm going to play the not quite the whole thing because it starts repeating the same pattern and the music's basically the same here. So I'll uh, fire it up and you guys can tell me what you think. And Mark uh, Overholzer, if, I don't know if you saw my chat before, but if you could just be posting links only in uh, YouTube because Restream is doubling up links and we're seeing it twice. That is really cool. Yeah, I'm only seeing those on the Restream uh, console, not on any of the Twitch. No, I'm, seeing, I'm looking at it right here in on the live feed where it went through restream and that's also showing up as I'm a coconut. Oh, right, so, right, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking into how to fix that. So, so just post it in YouTube and it'll cross-pollinate. So you can hear the digitized sample yeah, in the background. that's really that's cool. These look like ray-traced um, orbs. Yeah. But the thing is, the smooth animation with no flicker, this is being done on one screen live. There's no page flipping, double buffering, none of that. And that's not a technique you Man, see too often. Man, this pattern is mesmerizing, too. You get star shapes and circle shapes and all kinds of stuff. Super mesmerizing. Yeah. So it's a, it's a nice little 128K demo, but it also demonstrates this technique, which you know was pioneered basically on the Atari 2600, which was most commonly first used. But a lot of the you know later graphics machines, including the Coco that actually had the ability to have more than one screen, that you could just switch which one you're viewing, kind of you know going away from doing it this way. But if you want to make a game that you know wants to fit in less RAM, let's say you have a game that normally would take about 150k or 160k to run on a Coco 3, you'd have to upgrade past 128 to do it because you'd need enough room for two 32k screens to be able to render and page flip between them. And this basically reduces your memory footprint by 32k because that entire 16 or 32k screen is no longer required. 
you just need the one. So you can actually write a more complex, more um, detailed game or graphics demo, like in this case, that requires less RAM. Now, is so there it's, any it's a, of the hardware scrolling going on here too? Is this all? No, this is all just being drawn, rendered, and he's just timing okay. when he's drawing everything based on where the raster beam on the CRT is at that time. I like Sixty's comment, chasing the beam, man. Yeah, <laughs> chasing that beam. Um, no, this is cool. I'm, I'm glad. To, I'm glad to see Glenn active again. It's been a while since we've seen him. Uh, he did. He also posted. He posted an email recently when we started the assembly series too, with some encouraging words for me. You know, trying to get me the nudge to get going. So thanks, Glenn. Thanks for all you have done and and are continuing to do now. Yeah. And he mentions here that the, uh, awesome. the the demo is inspired by the old Amiga demo called DOC. I've not seen that. Uh, Boat, have you seen that particular one? Or... Nope. Okay. And it's a, it's a pretty cool technique, and it's 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 pretty cool that he kind of has a blog that explains exactly how it works. Now, Nick, I, I think you said you would you you know of this technique, but you wouldn't actually use it because it's harder to program for because you do have to all this do this timing as a when you're drawing things, and for you it's just easier to do the the double buffering. Well, yeah, I mean this is good, but uh, depends on the uh, depends on the game, what things are moving, how they're moving, and uh, the double buffering to me seems easier. Yeah, having plus, I mean, your, your with... games now, you've kind of gotten rid of the whole 128K. I have to fit it in that. You're, well, you're yeah, of... yeah. 512K should be enough for anyone. <laughs> Minimum standard for a Coco 3. Anyway, source code and everything else is there. Go grab it if you want. And the disk image is also. Great job. Down, uh, just try it out. Demo is extremely mesmerizing, too. Love it. Yeah, I, I've ran it both on VCC and on... Um, a real Coco 3 and it runs fine on both. So it should be running able to run an emulator or real hardware. Next up from uh, Jim Brain. And, and Nick, you might have some comments on this too, because I think this is related to your project with Jim as well. So this is the flash pack, which he's talked about before, which is basically 512K flash ROM uh, that you can actually image the ROM from the Coco. It's like the SDC, you can load it up yourself. Um, and it has a built-in MMU-style bank-switching hardware, which is, you know, the same thing that was used in Robocop and Predator cartridges, which is to make a cartridge beyond 32K. Uh, so it supports that if you want to, you know, either duplicate them or if you want to write your own ROM-based game that uh, has the extra memory being used. And it actually, this works on the Coco and the Dragon, including the MMU hardware swapping uh, built in the card itself. So you can actually make a huge ROM cartridge game for the Dragon itself. So this was his initial announcement on Facebook. And then because he does everything with, you know, freely available open hardware design. What was the toggle switch for? And did he license permission from Jason Reichard to use a toggle switch on this project? I think that's Aye. the auto exit for the ROM. Oh, to, turn, to disable the uh, pin 40 I or whatever? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Anyway, but, the project files here, if you want to actually build this yourself, you can. You don't have to buy it. But he also has it available in, in a multitude of ways on his store here. So you can pick as, uh, you know, four different options. If you want just the board itself and you do all the sockets and chips and add it yourself it's only three dollars unassembled kit which contains all the pieces but you have to put it together yourself is 15. the assembled kit 25. is 25. and if you want it with an actual case include which you didn't show that picture but it's 40 dollars. so that's like the full you know end user version like where you don't have to do any case yeah and then some of the details here too now nick i believe this is the same flash from that you and Jim are working on the extended version that adds the MP3 player to, correct? Yeah, it's based on that same circuit. Yeah, so it banks 
of a 512k flash memory you can bank 16k at a time from that ram in the uh, coco space it does need software to do it though if you notice there there's apart from that switch which is only a a, a normal toggle there isn't any switch in there i think that uh, allows you to select the banks of memory so the banking is selected via software so I haven't seen this package that he sells, but I assume he's got a, a program which uh, gives you a menu so that you can select what part of the ROM to bank in and then run it. Uh, you'd have to talk to Jim to be sure. Okay. And I was going to ask you, and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but uh, I know Jim's you know under the same problem that Aaron talked about earlier where you know hardware supplies from China are just unreliable right now because of the chip shortage. Has he given an indication when the MP3 enhanced version of this is going to be out? Uh, no, I think he's waiting on parts Wait, and same, same as everybody else. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, we've got it. We've got it pretty well all worked out, but he's just getting finalized boards. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully he'll have that out later this year then. Well, yeah, yeah. And then you you have a product that will work with it. Yeah, yeah, I already have. Is that been officially announced yet or not? I can't remember. I think well, we... I, I think I might have mentioned it. It's Gunstar for, for the Flash ROM that uses the MP3. Yeah, which I, in that case, you're going to have like an entire musical soundtracks for the. For well, the there is, but uh, yeah, the, the Gunstar game will be bundled with this uh, MP3 cartridge anyway. So you're not buying the, the game, you're buying the Flash, uh, the, the Flash pack from Jim. And you just happen to get the uh, Gunstar with MP3 track. Nice. And uh, yeah, but yeah, the flash memory part is based on the flash pack, and it. I've written the software so that you can actually put multiple programs onto the flash pack, and not just ROM programs. You know, ROM cartridges. You can take any disk-based flash program like i've converted or most of mine uh old games already to run off the flash pack so um yeah it's not restricted to just rom cartridges being converted to to run on the flash pack it can be made to work with other things and that i do have software that i have uh, well almost finished to do that yeah, because I remember you yeah. showed me some early demos of it where it actually brings up a menu and says you've got Popstar Pilot and Gunstar. Yeah, Popstar installed. Pilot. Um, and Which one would you like to play? That's cool. Yeah, it comes up with a menu. You just pick the game and it just loads it up. I would like I think to I've play shown uh, it. Global Thermal Nuclear War. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think I have shown it on the uh, on the show yeah, at, some, yeah. at some point. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And you've also got an editor for uh, you know allowing the programmer developer to uh, select which ones they want to put onto the cartridge too, and actually load well, them up. Well, yeah, I've got I made a tool mainly just so that I could use it, but I've made it more um, as as a product, a, a part of this cartridge, the, the MP3 cartridge, so that a developer could use it to put their software on the cartridge as well. Yeah, so that's really cool. So we've got both the, the basic flash cartridge here where you can actually load up your own ROM images or, you know, you know, any assembly language programs, basically, if you set it up right. <clears throat> and then there's yeah. an enhanced version coming out later as well <clears throat> that adds the MP3 player chip with a little, what is it, a micro SD card or something with the... Uh... Yeah, it's a little, um, yeah, for the MP3 files because mm -hmm. they're, they're pretty big. 
most yeah. of the MP3 files are bigger than Several the 512K. <laughs> so, and they're proper MP3s. You know, they're playing at the full 44 kilohertz. So they are. They don't sound like a resampled version for the Goka. They are the original MP3s that get played during the game under the computer's control. Now, does it have a real-time clock? No, no, that's mm. the only omission. All right, I'm going to hold off for that version. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Very cool. Next up, uh, Ken at Canadian Retro Things did a, um, a Matrix 9 EOU, first time he's ever used it. Now, of course, since it's EOU, I'm going to play the entire 14 <laughs> minutes and 45 <laughs> seconds and screw the rest of you guys. No, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll just play time. a little bit of the intro. <laughs> Talk about your snoozy hey newsy. I'm Ken. This is CRT. Welcome to this episode. Now, for quite some time now, I have been interested in uh, trying to take a look at the uh, Nitrous 9 Ease of Use Edition. Big mistake. But Big I've mistake. been a little bit hesitant about it because it just seems... This is like vaccine hesitancy, this nitrous 9 hesitancy. I guess. I, I'm not sure why I've been so hesitant. There's a lot of anti-OS 9ers out there. Day, I'm just going to jump right in. Well, they're all wrong. There's, there's a big highlight later on in the show on anyway. So. The trash can? Well, I discovered it really is. <laughs> Damn, it's very simple to do. Spoiler so alert. I decided that, well, I'm going to make this video, show you how to download the Ease of Use Edition onto the... So anyway, he goes through, he does it in two things. He shows you how to set it up on VCC so you can run in the emulator. And yeah, actually, he shows a little bit of how to set up VCC itself because you'll want to have the multi-pack and the hard drive controller linked in and the floppy drive controller and then how to mount the disk images. <clears throat> but it's pretty simple. Then he goes through how to do it in the SDC, which is basically just dump the hard drive image on the SDC and then run it from the SDC Explorer. So in this case, because SDC Explorer actually recognizes an OS9 boot, you just you hit enter and go. So it's dead easy. And then he's running it now. He's running it in composite Whoa, look here. Look at that trash can. Look at that trash can. That is gorgeous. Yeah, I was actually going to point out, like, the artifacting colors. You can see, like, the blue and purplish fringes yeah. on the sides of the scroll yeah. bars. But you know, it's a trash can for some reason. It fills up perfectly. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so I didn't realize that Nick liked composites so much. Yeah. You know why? You know why? <laughs> that, he made sure it worked. You know why that trash can looks as good as it does? Two words. Proper design. <laughs> <laughs> and ease of use. That's it. <laughs> All right. So he doesn't do too much here. He just basically shows how to fire up the GUI and then you know how to you know jump yeah. into directory stuff. But he said he's planning on doing some more videos. I've actually got a link to this video now directly on the Niche 9 EOU project site too, so that other people can discover it if they just want to learn how to This is kind of a boot camp. This is a nice little boot camp video how to get things going in the in emulator or real hardware. Yeah, and I mean obviously my instructions weren't too bad that I include with it in the in the text readme file because mm. uh, he figured out how to do it and he didn't ask me. He didn't you know you questions. But this is a lot easier to visualize, I think, than, than doing yeah, it. Yeah, thank you, Ken. So. so I look forward to seeing more future videos from him. I hope he does like an hour special, and then I'm going to take over the show for that entire hour. So Nice. Can't wait. <laughs> take one of my paid leave days that day. So uh... <laughs> One hour sleep on <laughs> I'll even take an unpaid leave for, for that matter. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I will show that he did manage yeah, to get Dexter to run, though. So. Yes. That's a great demo because it's a Sexter. game people will understand and, and plays very well and very quick. There we go. So it loads it up. Woo! Look at that. And boom. Boom. And it was just point and click. Now, I don't know if Ken's discovered multitasking yet because he didn't actually mention at all that you can hit the clear key and go between windows because, I mean, even when you fire it up, there's like three 
terminal windows set up. There's a 40 column plus the two 80 columns. And I don't know if he realizes that. He just started. So we'll yeah, no, see what cool. he discovers as he goes. Next up in the MC10 group here. So Robert Sieg, and we've spotlighted quite a bit lately because he's been almost as active as Jim Gary, but he's been really having a lot of fun with the Alice's, you know, the uh, the French, originally a clone of the MC10, and then they expanded with the LS32 and the Alice90. Getting very ZX-y here with the color attributes. Kind yeah. of, yeah. yeah. So, of course, the Alice32 and higher actually has a secondary uh, uh, alternate video chip that has so the VDG modes and it has 1480 comm support. And he's just been learning how to program now, ironically enough. This is his very first assembly program he's ever made up for an Alice 32. So he's at the beginning of his assembly language journey, just like Stevie is. And, you know, the series with George. But this is how to do, you know, attribute bytes and colors and stuff for the text screen on the Alice. In this case, a 40-column or 80-column screen. And similar to what John Lowry did recently, too, showing how to throw up an 80-column Coco 3 screen with the attributes and stuff, yeah. right? So. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the Alice actually looks like a pretty fascinating. I've heard some comments, read some of the comments here from people that are more familiar with the Alice than even Robert is. And they said it's a little bit quirky the way some of that stuff works. It's not the most obvious way to do screens and stuff. I'm not sure what the details of that are, but I'm sure Robert will find out and post about it. So we'll, we'll discover that. I'm wondering him. if the Alice computer is a big fan of Jerry Lewis. What, what was, wasn't that... Um... I think that's the other guy. Was, was that the wife of one of the honeymooners, too? Yeah, that was the To the Moon. Yeah. Okay, no, this is French. You know how the French are fans of Jerry Jackie Lewis? Gleason. Yes, okay. Uh, all right, that was... Okay, we missed that one. TRS-80 Coco 2 on an iMac G3. Yes, yeah, so these next three were all Pedro, uh, who was on the show earlier but had to go. Pedro, so, yes. Some of the stuff we, we've kind of already covered with the interview with Aaron, so I'll, I'll breeze through those. This was not one that was mentioned on it, though. <clears throat> but this took two of his retro projects and combined them into one, basically. So in this case, he's got an um, Coco 2 using the RGB to HDMI combined with an HDMI to VGA converter. So that's using the board that Aaron was talking about and Aaron will be selling shortly. And then hooked it up to his iMac G3 DV screen. So I'll... Uh, Fast forward just a little bit. We kind of goes ex explains the hardware, but I just want to show what it looks like. I want to use my iMac. Look at that. Well, Look at that. It's a Coco on a Mac screen. So there it is. It's you like a repack, screen, you know? And I'm sure Aaron would say this is the best use of a Mac he's ever seen. Oh, absolutely. And that's Aaron from uh, the Amigos, not Aaron Newcomb. Hello, but actually, you know, it gives a, a nice, nice picture. Yeah. It goes through and explains everything. So I'll let you guys watch the video. As you for can that. see, there are sparklies on the screen. Um, and this was done before he figured out that problem with right. the developer of the uh, HDMI thing, where that that sparkly problem is now fixed. Okay. This is so cool seeing a Coco on something else. Flawless HDMI picture. <laughs> Flawless. So this is one of the ones we talked about with with Aaron on the interview with Aaron here. So this is his Coco One, and this is where when he hooked up this um, this board, the the board that does the HDMI, <clears throat> it actually came out crystal clear, like pretty well right off the bat. Right now, you notice what he's using. He's got those kind of little little tap things that just tap onto the stuff where he's not actually soldering it. The RGB to yeah. HDMI solution. I decided a temporary one, one you can yeah. use. Uh, just like I saw in the no burnt hair involved. Uh, Look at that artifact colors. Probably yeah. a minute of tweaking, but I mean, the results are very nice. That's a very nice solid amazing. blue, which tells me that yeah. they're, you know, that the Coco 2 is slightly noisier than the Coco 1. 
So I need to figure out why. Now we we'd shown in previous videos we've done in previous weeks here the Coco Two is giving like sparklies and, and a bunch of other things here too. So the third video we did, and this is the one that uh, Pedro mentioned to Aaron, you know, on the show because Aaron hadn't got the response yet back from was it Ian, I think he said in the UK that designed the HDMI board. Mm. Where they had to do some tweaks to the settings. So this is the new version here on okay, the Coco Two. So after several and all days that sparkly stuff is all gone. Coco Two RGB. So the latest it, uh, firmware edition or, or settings edition for that uh, board Ian, that Darren will be selling SB, uh, now should work on a Coco One, uh, Two, or Three without HDMI any project. background noise, uh, etc. So it looks like that that entire line of computers. Soft. And of course, this also works as Aaron mentioned. On you know Apple IIs and and a bunch of other systems back in the day other as well. lesser so, machines, yeah exactly. I think you even mentioned the Tandy One Thousand was one of the ones, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to trying to hey, sell my hey, Tandy One Thousand. Hey. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Pedro was kind of busy with this stuff this week here, and actually could crank out three videos in the span of a week and got some problems solved from the developer himself. And uh, and Aaron will be selling these, like he said, in 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 the states and Canada since it's a lot cheaper to ship from there for us North Americans yeah. than it is to ship from England. So looking forward to that. And once again, he's, you know, experiencing trying to get parts, which is a worldwide phenomenon right now. But uh, that's cool. the end of the news. All right. The end of snoozy newsy. All right. So Mikey, wake up. Wake, you can wake up now, Michael Furman. Okay. So we're going to keep it rolling because my hunger pains continue to grow. So we're going to move into project updates and acquisitions. Uh, this is uh, Brian Weasler segment of the show. <laughs> and uh, before we get to Brian Weasler, who could be a whole show within itself, does anybody else have anything they want to talk about that will take considerably less time than Brian? Anyone, anyone? Anybody got an update, acquisition, story to show, story to tell? Anything else? Anyone? Anyone? I got my second shot, so I'm ready to go to Cocoa Fest. Curtis Boyle's got his second shot. He's been uh, fully uh, derabied. He's got his tetanus shot and his rabies shot, so he's good. I've been immunized against Apple II, so I'm ready to All go to right. Cocoa Fest. All right. Well, then we're going to just jump into Brian Weasler, and if anybody decides they have other things they want to share or show and tell, after that, uh, Brian Weasler, you have the spotlight, sir. How you been, sir? We have not had you on in a few weeks. It is good to see you again. Yeah. Been kind of busy with work and uh, some other travel. <clears throat> Excuse me, some other travels. So, can you hear me okay now? We can hear you. Yep, we can hear yeah. you. We can see you. Very good. Sorry about that. A little uh, something stuck in my throat there. Um, I was going to show some other things, but I'm just going to kind of trim it down a little bit here um, myself. Uh, so, one thing I wanted to show, um, and since the gentleman's on the uh, show with us right now. Gentlemen, what, what gentlemen? gentlemen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you're on the I right had, show? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I had I had reached out to uh, to Nick about some. Uh, this, no, he's uh, right, gentlemen. Gentlemen, gentlemen, exactly. He's, he's a proper. You know, you know, but you know who would be a proper Australian gentleman is Ian Maverick because he wears a three piece suit. So there no. you go. <laughs> Whereas Nick, I, you know, rarely wears clothes. So. <laughs> It's hot down here. <laughs> Sorry, we keep messing with you, Brian. You deserve better. No, no, you no, deserve that's better. Fine. You deserve better. Nick doesn't, but you do. But yeah. <laughs> um, Nick had made a comment. I don't remember where it was that uh, he had some. I make lots of comments <laughs> uh, from, from some uh, from some of his old games, and I reached out to him, and uh, we ended up working a little trade thing out. But uh, he sent me some original copies 
Oh, look from at back in the, that. From back, in the, from back in the day. So we have here... Uh, new old donut, stock. New old stock. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> so we have... Uh, we have Donut Dilemma and the uh, the insert that would have went. Uh, and this that. is the actual packaging that Radio Shack yes. in Australia sold because this that's is, a game that yeah. was sold there, but not anywhere else. Yeah, everything minus the uh, plastic bag minus itself. Plastic bag. Uh, space, space intruders. Look at that and, uh, requirements and that. in the scenario. And Nick, I have to say, I I am I'm, I'm impressed that you actually had screenshots of the games on your your artwork too, yeah. which most games back then and, and Radio yeah. Shack did not. Yeah, they didn't. Nick's a high-quality guy, man. Expect nothing but high-quality from Nick. And a gentleman. And a gentleman, <laughs> that's true. And a gentleman. And the game that uh, that Nick uh, comments about the fact that he was most proud of. Uh, <laughs> Rupert Rhythm. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So. Still with the spelling mistake. <laughs> so I was very uh, very happy to get those and uh, very thankful. And That uh, is awesome. Nick, were you able to uh, put your soldering skills to yep, work there yet? Yep, my joystick is now working. Excellent, excellent. That was <laughs> awesome. And then uh, another uh, item here that I picked up. This was uh, actually I was on eBay. Um, it's kind of a tank. You were investor. on eBay. I can't believe that. I know. I know. <laughs> it, it, uh, it's it's a it's a it's an actual manufactured cassette uh, a cable for the for the Coco. Okay. But it has a, it has this extra little box here, and it has a I don't know if you can zoom it's in or not. But it has high, yep, and it says high or low, and what it was designed for is uh, if you're copying files to uh, to a PC and the, either the volume or like it's cutting off where it's too high um, or the signal is very weak, this will actually amplify the signal. So it's to provide a better quality Interesting. Uh, signal oh, cool. to the uh, to the to the PC or to and from the Coco. So I thought it was kind of an interesting. Uh, I haven't had a chance to try it out yet, but um, Do you know if that was a commercial product or is that just some hobbyist thing that somebody did? It was a hobbyist. Have you guys if, on eBay? I don't know if you if you look or not. There's a guy out there that's been selling um, uh, packages of belts for the various uh, oh interesting uh, cassette recorders. Okay. Um, so he actually manufactured uh, uh, manufactured this. Um, the other thing I picked up from him uh, was this cable that he also manufactures. Uh, allows you to plug into a USB port. And it's got a five volt you, DC, right? Well, it gives you the power. Yeah, that you can actually run your uh, uh, model 100 off of it so if you don't have the if you don't use the batteries or you don't have the power pack you can actually power your model 100 you'll go far fletcher from either a, a usb <laughs> port or what he talks about using is like a, a usb uh power pack yeah a little, a little yeah that's mm -hmm. neat that's neat yeah is so, that is that basically five volts dc which is the kind of usb well, standard it, well, it's five volts, but then this actually, I think he has a little step-up circuit in here. Cause, uh, uh, yeah, oh, it's not just, one, not just passive right. then. Right. Your Model 100 is uh, six volts. Oh, got a bonus so it, volt it, in there. Yep. So it has a little step-up circuit in there. Okay. Um, also, too, and I, I grabbed this one here. It was uh, color stat, but it was in such beautiful condition here. That is gorgeous. So in the, in the, in the cassette there. Um, another item, um, I have some other items I'll show some other time uh, that I got that I got from Mr. Tim Lindner. But in a in a group of stuff that I bought from him, I wanted to show this one because I hadn't seen this one here. It was called Undercolor. Under that was Dennis yeah. Kitz's uh, Coco Magazine. Oh, yeah. Right. And so this is all 11 issues. Oh, my uh, goodness. Of, of that. So it was a it was an issue, something I publication I had not seen before. But it has some really kind of cool, <laughs> cool looking. Kind of like uh, a play on the word undercover. It's undercolor. Yeah. 
That yeah, is really so interesting artwork there. Very almost Salvador Dali-ish, where you got the uh, hand drawing itself. Oh, look at this stuff. This is really cool. You got a... Oh, man. Yeah, so Dennis is a creative force. He's a guy in charge of the Coca-Cola. Not, not Salvador, but actually uh, Escher. MC Escher had the one where the hand was drawing itself. Oh, man, that's... The hell is going on there? I'm not sure. I wonder if he used the same guy who uh, did the uh, artwork for the Color Computer magazine, because Dennis was part of that as well. Yeah. I was wondering uh, if hallucinogenics were involved in this photographic yeah. process or not. Uh, yeah. And of course, he did color quaver. He did uh, the lower kits. He, he did, it, was, it was a force in the cooking. Very community. artsy. Very artsy. He's also a professional music composer. Oh, and it's too. like a comic strip panel thing on that one there. That's really yep. cool. Is this a, is that, is it kind of like a play on the old comic strip where the guy's getting sand kicked in his face and that was a 98 pound weakling. And then I bought this thing here and now I'm the, <laughs> then you bought yeah. nitrous nine yeah. and all of a sudden. <laughs> so yeah, uh, oh, well, there, was, there was a, it looks like there was 11 issues. Uh, that is that cool. So there's yeah. some other stuff that I got from Tim. I'll, uh, I'll share those at a later date there. Um, let's see here. What was the other item I had here? You got realize that, that Tim that. is enabling you, right? I guess I, I do. Yes. do you're not helping um, out, Tim. Did I? I can't remember <laughs> if I showed or not, though. But I did get one of um, oh, of neat. Ed's. Uh, well, not just the sticker, though. But I actually right. got. Uh, it comes with the Gimme yeah. X. Right. Right. Yep. And so I did. Uh, I did send him one of my uh, one of my threes. Okay. And I I got one of the other labels right here. Nice. In there. And I I told him to go ahead and go ahead. Go ahead and, and uh, mod do... the case there and everything, so okay. it's all ready to go with the cable and everything. So and. It sends the same sort of cable that you get the Coco VGA. VG. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. So I've been playing around with this here. It's uh, it's kind of cool. I haven't had a chance. Did you get to, the uh, eight meg board too, the little uh, mini grand piano thing? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. And I had him go ahead and install all that for me. So, nice. So yeah, that was uh, kind of fun to be playing around with that. I haven't done the ease of use uh, version yet uh, with the with the Gimme X. I, I hear the soon. trash can loads up even faster now. <laughs> in, and in high res. Yes. So, and then uh, lastly, one thing I wanted to show, and um, uh, Mr. Music Man will probably like this one here. And I, I also, uh, Stevie, when we were talking about it, kind of got me thinking about it. Um, I've been playing a lot with some MIDI. Music oh, that's stuff, the Roland so. Sound Canvas. Okay. Oh, that yep. is really cool. And, th and this is the one that does do the MIDI general. Okay. We were talking general about. MIDI. Right. Right. Okay. Yep. So uh, I've been playing this and been playing some MIDI songs off of the, the Coco. That is really, so cool. Really, really nice output. So. Right. Yeah, we were having that discussion about general MIDI, how the MIDI tracks can sound different if the instruments aren't. Uh, it's yep. got MIDI in. Um, yeah, this, this one strictly has in is all it has, and then it has uh, uh, your, this out, your analog uh, audio output. output. Yeah. Yep, yep, that you can take and send to an amplifier. What now, you that? said you've been actually playing stuff off the Coco. Are you using the Bitfanger MIDI driver or are you actually using the MIDI pack? I'm using uh, I'm actually I'm using uh, Jim uh, or uh, Jim Brain's uh, MIDI Meister is what I'm using right now. So okay, so actual MIDI pack. Yep. pack. But any any of the MIDI's would work out there. Any of the various MIDI cartridges that were available should play it just fine. Yeah, or the Bitbanger. I would assume it's work too. Like if you're running Ultimus, that has the option of going through the Bitbanger as well. So yeah, I have not tried that that's before, but uh, mm -hmm. yep. So yeah. But that's all I have to share with you uh, today. Oh, man, you're taking it easy on us. It's a light day there, Brian. <laughs> we, we know how much stuff you got in the in the back channel there. So uh, yes, I will. Uh, I, and I'm hoping to have a video ready here. I know you got another um, uh, guest lined up for next week, um, and so I'm hoping to have something ready uh, for the week after if we don't get another guest Excellent. scheduled. Yeah. So, I will yeah. warn you, we've got two other guests we're working on right now. One, I've got a confirmation that yes, we're just trying to confirm the date, and the other one, we're waiting for 
feedback. So you may yep. want to just sneak it in at some point anyway. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, yep. I'll try to coordinate. I'll, I'll try to make sure I eat um, a meal before I start to show because that's my problem is I'm running <laughs> off of I'm still running off of my breakfast reserves at this point. And it's getting close to dinner time. So. Well, you should have spend... someone bring you a sandwich. I, do, I don't have a Sarah. I don't have a Sarah to bring me a sandwich. So. Um, you can always call Jimmy John's. Corn nuts. What, is, what does that say? Burnt nuts? What do you got? What is in that freaking bag there, Brian? Burnt peanuts. Okay, burnt peanuts. Okay. You're muted, Brian. As a pro audio guy, it's a... Better that way, though. You're still muted. Your lips move, but I can't hear what better you muted. say. Yeah. You look better in the dark. You sound better muted. But yeah, what were you saying? Oh, yeah. Can you hear me better now? <laughs> Barely, but yes. Interesting. You pro audio guys and your lack of audio never ceases to amaze me. So, yeah. Well, I'm using a different microphone. That's why. <laughs> Is that a little bit better? Yeah, we hear you. That's what she said. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm. So what, what's up with the burnt peanuts? Oh, that's my lunch. Okay. <laughs> See, he came prepared, Steve. He actually yeah, brought his I lunch know, with him, I so he know. doesn't have to interrupt the show. Yeah, but then you'd either hear crunching sounds, or my fingers would get greasy, and I'm trying to run a console here, so you know, it is what it is. It's the, the, the thing called the mute button. And yeah. uh... good to see you, Brian. Good to see you. Hopefully, we'll see you in Chicago in November, and possibly even in September if we can November. make it to VCF. Yeah, in the. In the I'm v- thinking about that, and you'll definitely hear me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. Are you going to be able to make the drive to VCF? Uh, not, not the one in August. Ah, <laughs> no, the one in Chicago, the one in the Midwest. Yeah. Of course. I'm yeah. thinking about it. All right. Okay. Well, are we, are we have we reached the end of the show? Or ending enough? Gone beyond. Okay. Um, well, how about we do this then? I will roll the, uh, the outro, and then we'll come back for final thoughts. That way, whether or not you're ready, because it seems like there's some confusion as to whether people are done being on the show today or not. Well, I see Nick Marota is running Glenn Hewlett's demo in the background, and that's very mesmerizing how the patterns change, and it starts off as kind of a spherical orb, and then it becomes a star, and then it becomes other things. It's very cool. Very talented guy, that Glenn Hewlett, I tell you what. All right, so we're going to play the outro, and then we'll be back in after these uh, outro-ish type words. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Levy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, 
Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the COCO community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people! And this is um, this is uh, go for retro's favorite part of the show where it, it ends. <laughs> but very was, popular part of the program. Great show today. Great guest interview with Aaron from Retro Hack Shack. That was awesome. Great assembly with George J. I'm really appreciating what he's doing for us. And uh, reasonably decent panel. Uh, most of the people that I cared for have already left the panel, and then there's you guys that just Jeez. won't go away. So, <laughs> gee, thanks, Stevie. <laughs> the, 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 the hangers that are keeping you away from your food. Yeah. The, the Back of lunch. On, I believe oh, awesome! I, I think Stevie has become wow. angry. Good times, good times. No, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed today. Another great show. I really. Uh, I like what we do here. We do we do good stuff, man. We're doing we're doing the Lord's work in the in the world of the cocoa here, and it's uh, it's all good, man. So uh, good stuff, Brian. Good to see you again, Brian Weasler. Haven't seen you in a while, and uh, Brian the Music Man. Good to see you. Jason Reichard is here, and Nick Morentes, Crikey, Alan Murphy, gentlemen. Yes, the gentleman. Where? The gentleman's gentleman, Nick Morentes. We never that forget that. That is the biggest that. word, using the word loosely I would ever use. <laughs> Mark Bosley, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota. Did I do the uh, video uh, results video justice today, Nick Morota? Yes, I like the Porky Pig ending. That was okay, really good. there you go. I know, and I know people are longing for your format again. I'm getting, I'm getting all kinds of subtle um clues and requests oh, for going goodness. back to the basics on that one and uh so, oh my goodness but it is well, it's an, good to know that when i go back to it people like it yes yeah i'm getting all kinds of nods it's good to know people it's good to know people like it yes know? and uh listen, i'll start doing it again david ladd just got here i think we need to start the show all over again david ladd are you excited to be here today why yes everyone and i'm Overly rested at the moment. I fell asleep before the show. <laughs> well, at least you didn't fall asleep during the show. That's, yes. that's better. Overly no, I'm not Nick. <laughs> Did you have the show on when you fell asleep? Yeah. 
And uh, no, actually, I had the voice on while I was on Discord. Fell asleep yeah, so on you got, guys. Everybody got to hear uh, David snoring until he went to AFK. So good times. <laughs> Rick Eulen, thanks for being here. John Boat of Car, thanks for being here. L. Curtis Boyle, thank you for putting together the news and for procuring our guests and everything else. And we have Torsten to thank for bringing in our guest next week. Uh, word on the street is that he was up all night playing games, is what Wide World of Retro says, David Ladd. So that uh, your your uh, your your secrets out. Mark D. Overholzer, Johnny on the spot with the live chat. Mark Bosley, our backup streamer and engineer. Everybody, thank you, thank you to gentleman Nick Morentes. Thank you for your gentlemanly ways. We could all we could all learn from you. Uh, we're gonna press the button. Say Should goodbye, everybody. Jet? Not quite yet. That, Not quite. Oh, that's right. You needed to Sir Nick Marentes? Sir Nick Marentes. Yeah, we have more things to plug. So uh, Curtis and yeah. So two things to plug. I mean, first of all, is the live Coco Show taping tomorrow? Boat will give you details right now. Maybe. Yeah. So uh, we are going to start taping. Sorry, we are going to start taping <laughs> at two o'clock tomorrow, two o'clock Eastern time. Uh, we will do uh, the ZX Spectrum show first and then 1200XL. And at 3, 3 p.m., we are going to tape uh, Tandy Color Baseball for episode 11 of the Coco Show. So uh, feel free to stop by. Uh, we love having folks in the chat, and uh, it's going to be a good time. Make sure you uh, run a demagnetizer and a head cleaner through your recorder before you start that taping for the best oh. quality. Uh, <laughs> <cameras>. start taping. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, Excellent. our interview next week with, with Stefan about this Infocom engine-based game for 25 platforms, which even both might want to tune in because there's definitely a Spectrum version of that one, as well as oh, yeah. some of the other machines. Here. Actually, I think all your shows are covered with versions of that game. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And so Jason Reichert has done his taping. Yes, I have my taping. He's yes, packing we're, we're taping there. Tape. There we go. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs>